I'm the target of a meat missile going 150 miles an hour plus. That got really <laughs> exciting all of a sudden. I'm doing canopy safety. Um, I drive like an Asian, so I don't know if it's the most appropriate thing ever. I'm killing it. Utah, give me two. You're listening to Gravity Lab Radio, hosted by DJ Marvin and Nicholas Lott. Produced by Justin Grubbs. Have we talked about skydiving the whole time? Gentlemen and lady. Ivy Brewer, how are you doing, young lady? I'm good, how are you? I'm doing good. <laughs> it's good to see you. Can we have an entire podcast where we only whisper? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, Nick, how was your day? My day was pretty good. It's really Ivy, difficult for me to check the audio levels. Oh, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if it would be hard for people to tell our voices apart. Because you get to whispering, you kind of lose some of your voice. I'm not sure, man. I, I think you sound different than me right now. I murdered a bunch of people once. <laughs> that was Nick Lott. That was not me, just to be clear. So, Ivy, how's your well week been? It's been really good. It's uh, been kind of slow, but Awesome. Good. If you guys and gals jump at Skydive Spaceland Houston, there is a damn good chance you know Ivy Brewer. Ivy more than likely has packed your parachute, especially if you're a student. Ivy has quite possibly taught your packing class. Ivy, you're also a second-generation skydiver? Yep. Your father's a jumper? Mm-hmm. Your brother's a jumper? Yes. Your mother has also been a jumper, not active anymore. She's got quite a few tandems. Okay, so she's but she's been involved in sport. Yeah. Dad owned a skydiving center. Okay, and your fiance jumps. Yes. So we got a lot of history with you. Mm-hmm. Really quick in a nutshell, just an overcap, guys and gals. That's what we're going to do tonight. Is we're just going to kind of use that as a foundation of where we're at and where we've been. I started the show's description tonight with, "Do you know why the birds sing?" And you know my answer to this. Because they don't have to pack parachutes. Yeah, man. And for somebody like me, I don't mind packing. I'm actually pretty good at it. Um, I'm very clean. I think you've seen me pack. It's a very clean, very meticulous pack job. I'm quick enough. I don't mind. But I don't like it. Yeah. You're different. You actually enjoy packing parachutes for the most part. Yeah. I most do. of the time. It gets a little stressful, but it's fun. Yeah. Why? I, I, that's the one thing I've never understood is most people don't enjoy it. Some people like it. Nick, how do you feel about Gosh. it? Gosh. I really like being able to do a neat pack job. I like being in control of the pack job that I'm going to get. I like that I was the person who inspected the lines, and I like doing my pilot shoot real nice so it comes out when I pull on it. So I there are parts about the process that I like, but when it's Saturday and I've done 10 pack jobs, I don't know how you guys... What, what What's the most you've done in a day? 99. Oh, my God. <laughs> Yeah, my fuck, my hands my hands ache just hearing you say that. <laughs> I got ninety nine problems, but a pack job ain't one. <laughs> what the fuck? How do you feel about packing, Just? Justin? Uh, I used just, to. Just no, that's the just, new nickname. Just, just. no, I don't What's call up, me Just. No, just come on. <laughs> say don't. Go ahead. You can call me fucking Ginger, but don't call me Just. All right, all right Just. <laughs> How do you feel about packing, Ginger? I actually used to pack mine all the time. Um, I started out with a pulse, so that was super easy, and then I had a small hole in it from an off landing. I had to send it back and I borrowed a friend's canopy that had a logo all across the bottom of it. You can guess whose it was. And I couldn't pack it worth a shit. So ever since then I've just used a packer. I got lazy. Yeah. Packers are a blessing. I really <laughs> thank you guys every day for being there. You like packing and that's that's the thing is we find out some of us like it, some of us don't. Mm-hmm. What is it that you enjoy about it? Um, I feel like it can be pretty therapeutic sometimes, I guess, because you can just kind of like shut everything out and just focus on the repetitiveness of a pack job, I guess. So I notice a lot of people have headphones on. Do you, are you listening to something while you pack? Um, 
sometimes. There's a lot of times where I just have it so that people will leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> so you're just wearing <laughs> muted headphones? Yeah. Oh, that's nice. Block out the world. Yeah. I don't know who would do a thing like that. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. P? What? Just saying. I, uh, no, I, I'll do the same trick, but usually if you approach me, I take them out. Yeah. And, and so it's, it's I, I will put them in so you don't approach me, but the second you approach me, I take them out like, oh, God damn it. <laughs> like I'm playing chicken with you and I'm going to swerve right away when it comes on my headphones. Unless you're trying to kiss me, then I don't swerve. Kiss you right in the mouth in front of everyone right now. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, not, that's, that's probably not going to happen. <laughs> well, not everybody's watching. In the plane, it's another story. Look at Ivy. She's like, mm, it's getting kind of freaky in here. <laughs> it's getting weird. It's too early to get so weird. So you like, you like the getting lost in the yeah. monotony of it, so to speak? Yeah. Yeah. What do you think it is that people don't like about packing? Uh, it, I, I think it can, it's just that it can be tedious. Like you just, there's so many different things you have to like, I guess when, like with checking the lines and like going through all of those little things that like, I feel like a lot of people are just like, oh. Just want to get it over with. I think the tediousness definitely has something to do with it. For me, like I used to hate packing. Now I just don't like packing. Mm. I don't mind it. I don't prefer it. I pack for myself because it's very affordable to pack for me. If uh, what are pack jobs now? Seven bucks. They're eight dollars. <laughs> and I want to be clear about that because it's a service-based industry. You guys are providing a service, and if your packer doesn't do a good job, pay him whatever the going rate is. Seven bucks in this case. Yeah. But if they're doing a great job. Tip them a dollar a pack job. A dollar a pack job. If somebody tips you a dollar a pack job, does it make a difference? For sure. For yeah. sure. And it, your face said more than your words just said. For sure. Here's why I think it makes a difference. So when I say it makes a difference, why do I tip you? I hate this. How long have you been packing? Oh, uh, Probably about 12 years. 12 years. Quite a while, right? Yeah. Wait, how old are you? 24. Okay. Yeah. Start packing when... I would say start, start packing when you weren't tall enough to get the canopy off the ground. But... <laughs> Still, I like don't think I can get the canopy on the ground now. <laughs> <laughs> there, there were pictures when I did your your photo. By the way, beautiful picture of you dimpling. Thanks. I love that one. <laughs> um, there was a picture of you with a canopy over your shoulder and still touching the ground with a comment. Still can't get something like that. Can't mm-hmm. get the canopy off the ground. Um, in the twelve years you've been packing, it used to be years ago. You would see if you pack for me, and you still do this. All the packers I deal with at Spaceland still do this. You're checking my lines when you're walking up. You're inspecting my slider when you're doing that job. You're inspecting attachment points. Uh, you're uh, particularly pilot shoot attachment points. You're mm-hmm. inspecting my rubber band attachments. I mean, you're inspecting everything as you go along, including my pilot shoot. You don't travel that much like us. You're, you're at home all the time. But do you think all packers are still doing that at other places? I hope so. I, I don't think they are. <laughs> I, I really don't. I do get to travel a little bit more, and I think you guys are a unique breed. I, I say you guys... People like you, not just our Spaceland Packers. Um, man, Will Groves was my Packer for many years, and now that I don't use a Packer, when I do, I typically still go to him because he's just, I, I like that, keep the same server over and over again. There's a little loyalty there. Yeah. Um, but, dude, Will, like, I pay really close attention to my gear. I really do. Will will notice a problem before I will. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I really appreciate that. So if your Packers are telling you about issues on your gear, they're helping you, and that deserves a dollar a pack job tip easily. Unless you're some of my friends who give you $3 a pack job tip, and there's nothing wrong with that, guys. That is super awesome that you can afford that. So. Do, do you remember learning to pack? Sort of, yeah. I was on diapers. I'm only assuming that your dad taught you. Uh, Chris, mostly. My dad taught me initially, and then Chris kind of like... I'm curious. Helped me with my pack I'll let you now. get back to that, but I'm curious. Did your 
dad, which one was better at teaching you, Chris or your dad? Oh, don't put me in that position. So I'll tell you this story. My dad taught my sister to drive. Okay. My sister would get frustrated. My dad and my sister agreed that I should teach my sister to drive. We got along better learning for her for learning to drive. Yeah. Because there was no supervisional pressure. It was only peer pressure now. Yeah. Does that sound familiar? Yeah. 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 And it's because you don't want to disappoint dad. Is that a nice way to do that? Yeah. I feel that. We yeah. love you, Tom. Papa Tom. <laughs> Tom Brewer super good dude. So you were about to ask Nick. Sorry. I got sidetracked. I have no idea what I was going to say. <laughs> Uh, Chris, Chris is, your, is your brother, which I don't think we uh, we mentioned. Yeah. How, how many years older than, than you is he? Nine and a half. Okay. How many jumps did he have when uh, at this point when you started learning? Oh, I'm not. I'm, I'm not sure how many jumps he had. He started jumping. I want to say when he was sixteen. I thought you were going to say six. That's really <laughs> what I thought. No, at sixteen or seventeen, I okay. think is when he started jumping solo, and. Uh, I want to say he had, I mean, at least a couple hundred jumps when he was teaching me to, to pack and was, stuff. Was he more the supportive brother? Or was he be, was he being real bossy when he was teaching you? Uh, I feel like with Chris, it's a little bit of both all the time. Like he's always just kind of like just do this, mm-hmm. but also really supportive about it. <laughs> like it's hard to explain, I guess. <laughs> so when you're teaching a packing class, which how many how many do you think you've done? If you had to guess. Oh. At least 75. Okay. I'm going to go with that. All right. I think that's a pretty conservative number. I I would, I bet it's a lot more than that. But uh, do you still think of the lessons that you were taught when, when you learned, learned to pack? Mm -hmm. Like what's the first trick that comes to mind? Um, well, the first trick I guess that I remember learning is starting from, the longest, like your D lines first and working your way up to the A lines. Cause if you find your D lines, they're all connected. And so you can just kind of like follow the line up. And then, so when you start at your B or your A lines, it's just a bunch of random lines on from there. And so I feel like working your way up to yourself just kind of makes it a little bit easier to find. That's it. That's interesting. I, I used to start at my A's and B's. But now I just open the tail, do the C's and D's, and then the A's and the B's are right there. Yeah. So that's funny that you say that because I just do it on accident. That that works really so well. So I'm I'm super curious because I notice some people do it the way you do. Mm-hmm. I d- for me I do A B's first and then work to my C uh, on the way back, mm-hmm. and it actually when I do my A B's the rest fall into place. Yeah. Um, in a similar way to what you're talking about, but now I'm gonna have to start trying what you're saying. <laughs> just I mean. If nothing else, I'm a huge advocate of, of do it more than one way, partially because I'm going to try to teach you, Ivy, how to do something. Yeah. And you can't do it the way I can do it. Okay, cool. Well, let me show you another trick. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's important that I have those other tricks because, oh God, there's so many good ways to do things, right? Yeah. So now I want to try. I want to see because, I mean, I see what you're saying because when I flick my A's, B's, my B's immediately line up and I reach around my B's and I immediately makes my C's line up and it, it all falls into place. Mm-hmm. But now I'm curious to, I mean, if you've reversed your order, coincidentally. I mean, I started skipping my A's and my B's because I'm just really deliberate with, uh, with when I flake the, 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 when I find the nose, I'm just really, like, really pushing the nose out when I count the, the cells. Mm-hmm. And so they're, they're really just already there. So I put the nose out, one little shake, and C's and D's. I don't, I don't touch the A's and B's at all. It's not like I work my way back towards the A's and B's. I just don't touch them. And they just are, they're just there. Do you, uh, you packed reserves at all? Yes. 
So you know how when you pack reserves, you, you flake everything, you stack all the flakes on top of each other. When I flake, flake my A's and B's, I actually flake them, put my hands outside, and flatten them. Mm. BCs. So I actually do my A B so I can actually stack my folds. Yeah. That's the reason I do it in that order. I don't I don't think there's a right or wrong, but now I'm like super curious to try it backwards. Yeah. So next uh when I come back from my little vacation, I'm doing an AFF course with our buddy Greg. Okay. Um when you see me packing, come help me when I get frustrated <laughs> with what you're doing and show okay. me your version because yeah. for sure I'm gonna be like lost and doing it wrong. So if you see me packing ass backwards, or if you see me packing what's <laughs> normal to me, say DJ, you're supposed to be pass, packing ass backwards because I, I would love to see the difference. Yeah, I mean, so, I don't really think that they're. I mean, there's too much of a difference because they're. I mean, they're all connected by the same seams and stuff. But you get to the same end result. Yeah. So in your 75 uh, packing classes, that I think that is a there's probably more. So yes. I'm sure. <laughs> but is, is there a, a thing that most people struggle with, or I guess what's the most common thing that people have a hard time with? Um, I guess the mo- most common, well, there's really just kind of two things that people equally struggle with. It's finding your line groups and then getting it into the bag. Do, do many people struggle with stowing the lines? We, rubber bands? we do get some people that can't quite get the the wrapping of the rubber band. Carlos has been on our show <laughs> and <laughs> had maybe, t- I don't know how many thousands of skydives before he... Attempted to pack a parachute. And we broadcasted his phone number on the show, too. That is true. We should broadcast (laughs) it right now and see if he gets any phone calls. But uh, I swear, I haven't taught many formal packing classes. But with Carlos is the closest I've really come in the last few years of just really going through the process over and over with someone. Mm -hmm. And I would say that it was probably five full packing classes that I've done with him. And he really struggled with the with the rubber bands yeah. and i would just find myself yelling at him <laughs> like i just was out of like totally out of patience i would just scream at poor carlos and it was like in my head at the same time I'm like man why are you talking to him like this why are you being an <laughs> asshole that did not make it make it turn off do, do you have like a most frustrating person in, in your memory that you try to teach to pack um, i've had a few pretty frustrating <laughs> classes <laughs> There's not really one that I can pick out. So that's probably good for people who aren't the greatest packers to hear that, that it's a struggle for some. It, it is. And I, I try to go into my packing classes sort of letting them know it's going to be frustrating. It's a really frustrating thing to do because you're learning something new. And it's also a lot of just lines and fabric that look the same. And so I just kind of go into it like it's okay to get frustrated. If you need to walk away, walk away as long as you come back because, you know, we still have things to do. But it's... It's yeah, it gets really frustrating. <laughs> so when you're doing a pack job, are you on the same side of the container every time? Yeah. Like can you do it from your from the opposite side? Uh, yeah, it's backwards. What it's do you mean the opposite side? Okay, so, so like if you pack with your lines on your right shoulder, if you move them to your left okay. shoulder, everything's backwards. I don't know how. It For me, is. even putting my risers away, like I'm on the right side of the container. Uh-huh. And if I hop over to the other side, I am no, it's not, it doesn't work. I look like Carlos. <laughs> I used to flake my canopy left side on my left shoulder, mm-hmm. switch shoulders, flake the right side. I Dude, I struggled. Like, I learned to pack right away. A guy showed me how to pack. We landed. He packed my parachute, showing me. Talked me through the whole thing. Packed his and mine. Talked me through it. We landed. Now he walked me through packing it myself. Now, I did have a canopy that fit in the back super easy. Mm-hmm. After he talked me through it, we jumped, we landed. Then 
he made me pack it and gave me very little supervision. And I had no problems for the most part. It was, it was actually, I learned to pack very naturally. I'm Asian. We fold laundry. <laughs> we do origami. I mean, shit, dude. That's it's, it's origami. It's laundry. We can put shit like that together. Um, so I never had a huge problem packing naturally, but packing smooth and quick. I did my AFF course. Everybody was done packing, waiting for me to debrief. And I was doing 30-minute pack jobs. I was just like, I, I paid packers. My philosophy as a skydiver was I came here to have fun. You came here to work, Ivy. I'll tell you what. I'll have fun. I'll pay you to work. It's a fair <laughs> trade, right? Yeah. It's a win-win. And for many years, that was my philosophy. And, and I would. I would switch shoulders back and forth. Mm-hmm. So I, I now get what you're saying. Switching sides is challenging. I mean, even, even trying to fold my pilot chute, like... Yeah. It has to be on a certain side of me or my hands just don't work. Yeah. I can't I can't actually stow my risers from the side. I actually sit behind like you're on one end of your container when you're doing everything. Mm-hmm. I put my bag on the other end of my container and then I move to the same end as the main tray and I stand my container up and I stow my risers that way. Yep, couldn't do it. Weird. I yeah. tried to stow <laughs> my risers the, the way y'all do because mm-hmm. I think Carlos was doing it that way and I was trying to help him because, you know, we all have helped Carlos at this point. Um, oh, by the way, just to let everybody know, if you have a phone, if you're on uh, out there in the world, Carlos's phone number <laughs> Oh, my God. 832 832- Nine four six seven three nine one. Please send him a text <laughs> or give him a call. Please call him and say Gravity Lab Radio said you should teach me a packing class. Eight three two nine four six. Uh, oh my god, seven three nine one. Some I, of you are listening live. I'm call him right now. So hopeful that someone calls him right now. <laughs> Some of you will call him in three weeks and, from now because okay, you're only listening to this for three if, weeks. If you talk to Carlos. Tell him to call me when you guys are <laughs> off the phone, and I will answer the phone, and we will hear his description of the conversation. <laughs> yes. The magic might happen right now. I'm just saying. I just, yeah. I, I would love to hear I'd love to see it. <laughs> so you switching sides is something you can't do? Um, It's just, it's backwards. It's yeah. hard to do. It's... You can do it. It just takes more time to do it. So do you do any prep with someone before you uh, start with the packing class? Like, uh, do you show them? Uh, I'll put this in context. I feel like my pack jobs got a lot better when I understood more about what parts of the parachute I was touching. Mm-hmm. I couldn't, for the life of me, understand why I had A's, B's, and then these weird lines hanging out that didn't have letters attached to them. Mm-hmm. And now I have my C's and D's. Like, I didn't know for a long time what mm-hmm. part of the parachute I was touching during a pack job. Um. I try to go through, like, I'll go through, like, the deployment process. I'll, like, pull the pilot chute so that they can kind of see what is happening after they pull. Because mm-hmm. most of the time they have no idea. It's just they pull and yeah, there's the, a canopy. The, the magic trick head. happens yeah. behind your back. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And so I'll just kind of, like, pull it out so that they can see it. And then I kind of quickly go through, like, oh, these are the steering lines. These are the stabilizers. We're going to focus more on the inside lines than these ones. So we're just going to kind of push those out of the way. But, um is always confusing for people every time. Like, it doesn't matter how many times I'm like, these ones are steering lines. We're not going to focus on those. We're focusing on these. And they're like, but these ones are in this area, so they should be in this group. And it's like, no, no, those go. <laughs> so those go away. I, I have about 30 or 40 packing classes. My previous DZ, the instructor's taught packing classes. So I've done a bunch of them, and about halfway through the process, a buddy of mine, Billy Doherty, uh, was a huge advocate. I don't agree with him with this next statement, but I learned from this next statement that you must learn to flat pack in order to learn how to pro pack. And I think you're retarded for that statement, Billy. I love you to death, buddy. <laughs> but here's triggered. what I learned. What's Very that? triggered. Very triggered. Here's, <laughs> here's what I learned from Billy. Um, sorry, 
you retards are much smarter than Billy, so I did not mean to offend the again. less <laughs> mentally capable people like Chris Brewer. Oh. <laughs> I love you, Chris. Um, Billy, what I learned from Billy is he was partially right. What I learned to do is I would actually side stack the canopy. So I'd lay it down on its side as if I were about to flat pack, mm-hmm. and they could see the anatomy. Here's the nose. Here's a tail. Here's A. Here's B. Here's C. Here's D. Mm-hmm. And do you know how to flat pack at all? Sort of. So what I would do is then I would then take my A and Bs and I would actually fold them over and say, see how we've separated the two? Mm-hmm. We're going to do that to the rest of them. And then I would pick it up. and So just by flat laying it flat on its side mm-hmm. and letting people see A, B, C, D, and control line, it changed my packing class experiences significantly because they get lost quickly. Yeah, they do. Yeah. They can see the progression of angle. Okay. They can see the grouping. They can see when you just make that first, because I'm positive you can flat pack enough to make the first flake. Yeah. Would you agree to that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it, it, it did change. So Billy, in his, in his slow thought process, mm-hmm. better, in his, in his slow yeah. thought process, um, actually you. made a lot of sense just in that beginning stage to me. So yeah. I don't know if that would help. Probably. Yeah. I'll have to give it a try. Yeah. So how long does a packing class take? Anywhere from two to five hours is about the the range that we normally tell people. Okay, so I asked if you had one person that was on the struggle bus more than anyone else. Do you have like a star pupil, someone who just picked it up so fast? Yeah. Um, I mean... Were they Asian? No. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually just recently had a few people that uh, went through the class. Um, women. Yes. Girl power. But... Uh, Shirt fold power. <laughs> <laughs> um, Make they, me a sandwich. The, the classes—they only took about an hour and a half, and so it was. Yeah, they just—I showed them how to do it, and they picked it up. Do you really remember quick. who those were? Um, yes, uh, Stephanie Little—I think is her last name—and then Amanda Mitchie was also. And she's Amanda's been coming in. I've not met either, but I heard she's like really focused on learning oh, to pack yeah. and help and y'all out. She's got her pack jobs down to like less than ten minutes. She's like she's really great. Baller, dude. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She just got her A license. Mm-hmm. So regularly, people take a packing class just to get their A license, and yeah. then a lot of our friends never pack again. I had a thousand jumps before I had a hundred pack jobs, so mm-hmm. I will never mock anybody who does that way. But those people tell me, why should I learn to pack? Why does it really matter? What do you think? Well, apart from like the obvious, like when you go places and they don't have packers, and then yeah. what are you going to do? Um, I just feel like it gives you a little bit more of like a respect for your canopy and your gear and things like that, just because you're handling it yourself. Like, you know, I care a whole, a whole lot about the gear. <laughs> and so, like, I'm always just trying to, like, it's like when it gets wet, drying it out and like just doing things like that. And, I think it not only gives you a care for the gear, it gives you an appreciation for what your packer's doing. Um, And I'll tell you, I've heard so often during canopy courses, somebody who's like, yo, man, like, I didn't realize how hard it was to pack until I learned to pack, man. Like, should I be tipping packers? Should I be buying them them beer, bringing them ice cream sandwiches? Hey, you notice I (laughs) see it all the time. You got me going, girl. (laughs) Ice cream sandwiches. Uh, Absolutely, like, help out your packers. So the packing class, number one, gives you an appreciation for the hard work the person's doing in front of you. But if you go to a drop zone that they do have packers, being able to watch a packer and understand what they're doing will help you understand if you want to use them or not. Mm-hmm. I commonly get friends or people visiting Spaceland or I do a new jumper orientation, like, hey, show them around the DZ. Like, hey, yo, man, who should I use for packing? Who should I avoid? And, I, and I, it's so great right now because I'm like, you yeah, know, at this point, any one of the packers here can pack any one of my parachutes. Um, 
I, I, they're all good. They're all great. Um, some of you are faster or smoother, but I, I have no worry for how my gear is treated or the malfunction rate that's going to happen in, in any of your hands. But man, there's some drop zones I go to, and, and there's even been packers here at Spaceland where I'm like, yo, Ivy, you don't need to touch my parachute. <laughs> I'm okay with that. Um, man, knowing how to pack will help you better pick a smart packer. Mm-hmm. So, Have you ever had TSA ask you to unpack your parachute that's going through security? Nope. I've had it happen just once. Had, had to do one pack job on the floor of the airport. And dude, that is not... I, I have packed on tile. So I get like a brand new parachute recently. I brought it home and packed it in my house. And as you know, I have all tile floor. Have you ever packed... Well, I guess you have. Packed on all tile or did you pack on the carpet? I mean, not a brand new canopy on tile. That's dude, a different story. Yeah. Packing a canopy, folding, and putting a canopy together in the bag on tile. <laughs> Ivy. How would you tell an idiot like DJ how to more effectively pack a new parachute? Um, use a carpet. Yeah, put it on the carpet. Well, like I see no, some rugs out top. there. Put a carpet on top of oh, it. Oh, yeah, I don't yeah. do that. <laughs> yeah. And if you have you ever watched me pack? Mm, I think I, yeah. A few you ever times, notice yeah. what I use always? A carpet. Fuck yeah! <laughs> it it's, just it's, makes it's things lazy. easier. Yeah. yeah. Lay a carpet on top. It squeezes the air out while I check my stow bands, while I check my D-bag, while I cock my pilot chute. Well, I'm not on a 12-minute call for a video, so it's a little bit easier for me to take more time than poor Nick over here. Um, I know I love that carpet. Mm-hmm. For me, it's easy because I, I'm i blessed. I regularly buy and sell my parachutes, so I have newer parachutes more often than not. Mm-hmm. If I were to pack a brand new canopy versus a canopy that has 200 jumps on it, the difference is, is when I go to fold it and put it in the bag, I'll look you in the eyes and talk to you and fold my canopy with 200 jumps. When it has five jumps on it, you're going to see me when I fold it, no longer talk to you, and just pay attention to what I'm doing. And that's it. I'm just going to pay attention. And it's it's not a huge thing. Yeah. How important is being super clean really matter? It's it's really, I, f- I feel like it's really important. There's some people that you ask and they're just like, oh, it's whatever. But I like to make sure that my pack jobs are really nice and clean. Yeah. Have you ever had a really, really crappy, super messy pack job? Yeah. Yeah. Did it open? Yeah. And and so I, I stand I stand in a soup in a different standpoint than you. Mm, but let me change the question. How important to malfunction rate is having a super clean matter? I don't feel like it's like to for malfunction rate probably not very much. Okay, so. then we are on the same page. Yeah. What is the importance of flaking a canopy? What's important of being neat about a canopy then? If it's important, and I do agree it's important, why is it important? I feel like it's important just because whenever you're making it look neat, it's easier to see flaws in like the, the gear and things like that. So we're going to say the same thing, different versions, because for me, it's about the lifespan of the canopy. And for you, it's about the lifespan, because if you're being neat, you can see the problems. You can see stitching. You can see attachment points, right? Mm-hmm. For me, it's, well, if your canopy and your lines are intermixed and an opening, they rip apart from each other, friction, line burn, all of a sudden you damage your canopy. Yeah. So proper flaking, proper folding... Pro, uh, elongates or pro- prolongs the life of your canopy. Um, and I never thought of it the way you just said it, but mm-hmm. it makes tons of sense because you see it better. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually have had a new jumper talk to me about how important a neat pack job is. And he was watching me pack and it was a newer canopy. I was in a super huge rush. I wasn't paying attention. I was debriefing an AFF course while I was packing and it was it was a hot, 
hot mess. <laughs> and he said something like, aren't you worried about that opening? I'm like, no, bro, it's going to be fine. Like, no, aren't you? And he, he was freaking out. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, dude, parachutes open. That's their job. I'm worried about how long my parachute will last. I'm going to cut the life of this canopy down by 30% by doing this, but I'm only going to do this a couple of times in its life. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, no, no. I'm like, bro, watch this. They're going to video my opening. scope going fine. Are you sure? I'm like, yeah. And my canopy is completely in the bag. I grabbed the nose. I reached in and fished out and found the nose. I pulled the label out and said, see, this says Spectre on it. Now, there's the key. It's a Spectre, right? This says Spectre on it. He goes, I, I think so. I'm like, okay, hold on. And I pulled it out further. I said, that says Spectre. He goes, yeah, that's the nose. He's like, yeah. I'm like, cool. And I just shoved it back in the bag. Those of you who don't know, the Spectres are notoriously known for really good openings. They're, they're known for opening that way. So I did take advantage of a super stable opening canopy. But I also wanted to show them, dude, I just made a hot mess, and then I made it worse. Mm-hmm. And they videoed my opening for an AFF course. And when we land, I'm like, bro, come watch this opening. He's like, oh, it works. I'm like, yeah, they work. How many people have jumped their first pack job for you, and it malfunctioned? I don't think I've had any. Right? <laughs> How many malfunctions have you packed? Oh. Um. Before we do that, <laughs> I think it's great people know how many pack jobs have you done. Oh, I, there's no, I have no idea. Thousands. Tons, yeah. Tens of thousands. Oh, yeah. Hundred thousand. Mm, maybe. Okay. So pushing up in that 80 plus thousand range. Fair statement? Yeah. How many malfunctions do you think you packed? Probably like 25. That's nothing. Yeah. That's nothing. How many malfunctions have you packed? Uh, five. Five. And you have? Five, six. Uh, I have 8,000 jumps and I didn't pack many of the first 1,500. So, yeah, 6,500-ish. 6, Knock on wood, about 10,000 pack jobs. I did pack for a team called Fast Tracks for a couple of years. Um, excuse me, for a year and zero malfunctions. And during that year, I probably trash packed 500 times. Um, do you know what trash pack is, Mr. Lott? I mean, I've seen it a lot. <laughs> so uh, a, a, a true packed uh, trash pack, I grab the nose, I shake out, like I, I grab the nose and just shake out the canopy. Wrap the tail around it, cocoon the tail, put it in the back. It, 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 there's no flaking. There's not like shake it out, wrap it up. That that is trash pack. Um, I did it mainly because the first morning, I got a knock on my RV door. They started at sunrise. Yo DJ, load one's on the ground. The camp unit packs on the ground. Load two is on jump run. They're gonna land in a minute, and you have a camp you need to have packed right away. I ran in like in my pajamas <laughs> and straight fucking trash packed. And the next three canopies I trash packed because I was just playing catch up. Mm-hmm. And by the end of the day, I was like, fuck it, I'm going to trash pack all day long. And after that, I was like, mm, I'm going to trash pack for the next like month. And <laughs> I just continued the rest of the season. They all opened fine. There was, there was no, no issues. I don't think the canopy lasted as long. Yeah. I also think that team would land, slam their canopy on the concrete, drag it across concrete and rusty chain link fences. So I think they were doing more damage to their canopy than I was. So I, that's, I was like, I don't care. So do you remember the first time you packed a cutaway? Yeah. What was it like? Oh, man. Oh, okay. What was the malfunction first? So I, it was Lauren Piscatelli. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> she lost her canopy, and I cried because oh. it, it was. I felt like it was all my fault. But everyone kept telling me it wasn't my fault. Um, her canopy was a little bit too big for the container, and she had... What she thought was a pilot shoot and tow, but when she pulled her reserve, her canopy came out. So she, I mean, I'm assuming there was just the bag was stuck in the container. Mm-hmm. And uh, she, yeah, she cut it away and she lost her canopy and it was really sad. And I cried. <laughs> I was just Gosh, like, I'm so sorry. W- was it ever found? No. Really? Yeah. 
Man, we found through the uh, the Mar project and doing all these intentional cutaways, and uh, we found a few things like a few free bags. Um, I know that there was one old canopy that was found in the swamp, and it's so surprising that things can still just disappear. Yeah. Um, I part of it is is things go places that you really don't realize they would go. Yeah, yeah, especially when something stays inflated, it'll go real far. Oh my god! Like two miles away from the drop zone, <sighs> even when we plan the cutaway to land on the property. <laughs> that, that was our first one. It, it stayed inflated, and we actually found a canopy will commonly stay inflated and drift way further than you realize. Yeah. Um. So I wonder with Lauren's malfunction, I, I've seen four now, I believe, malfunctions on video mm-hmm. that were pilot shooting toes. And on review of the video, the videographer's point of view, you could see just in the way they scanned that it was a weak throw and pilot shooting their burble. Mm-hmm. So Lawrence could have been a tight fit, but it could have been just a bad throw. Mm-hmm. And pilot shooting her burble, and by deploying a reserve, it stood up and stripped that out. Justin, have you had a, a pilot shoot uh, hesitation? Yes, I have, yeah. How How long would you say? Um... I don't know. I I would say like maybe a second. But it okay. seemed like 12. But it feels yeah, exactly. It feels like it's it's the full blown like the canopy should be fully open by now. Uh-huh. I've we missed a question here. Okay. How many jumps do you have? I have 65 jumps. When was the last one? I did a tandem with DQ um in July. July 11th. Okay. Chris Brewer, I'm disappointed. He was supposed to do a tandem with you while you were here or get you current. He did all of my ground stuff with me. I went through all like my malfunction junction mm-hmm. and then he went through just the standard like basic stuff with me. Do, do you feel like you have done enough jumps to notice the difference between a good pack job and a bad pack job? Yes. Okay. If you if you, you haven't had a malfunction with only 65 jumps, have you? Uh I mean, I had blind twist. But that I doesn't count. I Get out of here. <laughs> I haven't had to cut away or anything. Um, but I've definitely had some really rough openings that were like... Body position? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> I did have a canopy for, a l- I think it was a Monarch, like oh, 200 God. or something. There's and your problem. Yeah. No matter how you packed it, it was just always an instantaneous opening. And it was like the worst canopy ever. I think mm. it did like 10 jumps on it. Nine out of 10 Monarchs open extremely hard. Mm-hmm. Dennis Anderson. You knew Dennis, I think, at some point. Uh, yeah, I think so. If you find a Monarch that opens soft, keep it. Mm-hmm. Never throw it away. And he actually had one. Mm-hmm. And his son, Eric Anderson, for a long time inherited it and jumped it until he was to Catan as another really good canopy. So did you have any pilot shoot hesitations on... On any of these jumps? No. No? Anything that uh, made your butthole pucker a little bit, <laughs> other than your line twist? Her no. dad's listening. <laughs> no, I don't think so. Hi, Tom. <laughs> what about you? Longest pilot shoot hesitation? Um, Have you had a pilot shoot in tow? Maybe I should ask that first. No pilot shoot in toes outside of intentionals. Um, longest pilot... Well, we didn't do any pilot shoot toes intentional. We just... No, just, just totals, yeah. Yeah. Um, pilot shoot hesitation, several. Problem being, I'm an AFF examiner... I have people holding on to me through opening. Um, in AFF, if you have two instructors, when the pilot shoot leaves, my hand, the student's hand, or the instructor's hand, one instructor is supposed to leave to reduce the burble. If both instructors stay, the burble stays really big, and the student gets pilot shoot hesitation. All my pilot shoot hesitations are through that process of instructors and in training staying on my side too long and creating larger burbles. I remember Zach and I had a really long hesitation when uh, we pulled for you that one yeah. time. Yeah, it was 500 to 1,000 feet around. more than once in my life. I've had a few, a uh, few, several hundred feet 
uh, hesitations. Now, I've been training instructor since 03. So that's when you were born, Ivy? <laughs> no. no. <laughs> I was born in 95. 95, man. Shit. Mm. <laughs> What are you going to shit for? Because not many guests make me feel old. I'm sorry. Here we go. <laughs> ninety five. No, that ninety five was a good year. That was a good year. Most my junior year of college, I was enjoying it tremendously. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> so I've had I had one hesitation that was no shit maybe four or five seconds. Mm. Mon ouch. And uh, and I finally <laughs> like looked over my shoulder enough that I started coming up like knee flying a little bit and sped up enough that it. And I, I just had a, a pilot chute that was worn out. Mm. And I could feel it wearing out. So I throw it a little harder every time, a little harder every time, a little harder every time. Like my goal was to throw it so hard that the pin would come out regardless of whether the pilot chute was there. Yeah. And uh, yeah, long story short, worn out pilot chute that uh, wasn't doing a good job. How can someone tell if uh, they have a kill line that uh, needs to be replaced or lengthened? Um. One, I guess, really good indicator is if your pilot chute is spinning up a lot on you mm-hmm. whenever you're coming into land and you find yourself constantly having to untwist your pilot chute. Um, could mean that you're it's either too long or it's wearing out kind of a lot. Um, and then whenever I'm packing, I also like to check it before I the, cook it. Like check it with the limiter tape? Mm-hmm. One... Uh I always cock my pilot chute, obviously. And if the the bridle, if you can feel the bridle sliding back and forth over the, the kill line, if you feel that little bit of play in mm-hmm. your... I, I'm, I'm imagine, sorry, I'm acting this out for people that are <laughs> just listening. But I have my hacky in my right hand, and I'm, I'm cocking it with my left hand mm-hmm. extended. And in that left hand, if my left hand moves back and forth, that bridle moving over the kill line, that's a... Good sign that the kill lines become too short. Mm-hmm. I think one of the easiest signs if your kill line's too short is before you cock your pilot chute, look at the throat of the bridle. So where your pilot chute, the apex or top of your pilot chute collapses, it goes towards the bridle. Where it goes towards the bridle, that little opening where the kill line goes in the bridle, mm-hmm. I'm calling that your throat. If there, there should be a little, what was that noise? <laughs> Did you just gag on something? <laughs> So um, I just thought of you shoving something down my throat. That's the noise that came out. So the uh, bridle or the kill line should still be exposed some between the apex of the pilot chute and that throat. If there's no kill line between, you got to quit saying throat. <laughs> man. If if the if there's ki- if the top of your pilot chute and the opening of the bridle yeah. are uh, it, there's no kill line exposed. In other words, the top of your pilot chute is going into that opening. It's too short. Mm-hmm. It, it shouldn't go in there. And that's the f- absolute first sign. Um, Sometimes that little knot will get stuck in there and you have to like really pull on it to get mm-hmm. it to come out. And that's a huge sign yeah. is if you have if you're having that problem, then for sure if if you have a hard time cocking it's getting hung up there, there is a good time. It's a good sign. I do want to ask a quick question. First of all, you heard me say Matt Monouch. Mm-hmm. That was you know Craig Floyd? Yeah. Craig Floyd, a good buddy of mine, Craig said calls it a monouch. Uh, what is your fastest pack job? I don't like this question. Um, so it depends not on very fast. it depends on who you ask on the packing <laughs> floor. Um, Faster than Spencer? Probably. I wouldn't. My fastest pack job was probably like three minutes. About. Now, why Jesus. don't you like that question? Because <laughs> so if you ask Katie, it's two minutes. That's but her fastest or yours? No, mine. She's fully believing that I, Man, I see can't. for me I feel like Ugh, what had happened was is I feel like they moved the clock back 
because there's no way that I packed it in two minutes. I no, don't you just blacked it. out because you were just in the zone <laughs> that fucking hard. I don't believe it. <laughs> I believe it's attainable two minutes for somebody like you. Because when I packed for that team, it was a crap load of pack jobs that summer. I got down to four to five minutes easy nonstop. Yeah. Nonstop. And I have never been as current or as smooth as a packer as you are. I've watched you pack a lot. Um, if you, you know me well enough to know this. When I'm on the drop zone on a week weekend and I don't have as much going on, where do I hang out? With us. With yeah. the Packers. Yeah. Partially because all the instructors are nonstop up and down, up and down. The Packers, you guys are trapped and you can't get away <laughs> from me. <laughs> um, I also like the spirit and the attitude of our packing floor. I've not always hung out there. I'm sure you've noticed that. Mm-hmm. It's uh, Besides that Spencer kid, everybody's really friendly <laughs> and really nice. We've got a really good group this year. I like it. You've got a super solid crew, really mm-hmm. solid crew. Um, your dad just wanted to point this out. Your dad actually said she got that clean pack job stuff from her dad. <laughs> so your brother might have taught you how to pack. Your dad taught you how to pack cleanly. I believe that. And there you go, Tom. So for once, your daughter and a woman in your life said you're right. I know our women <laughs> in our life don't say that much, brother. So um, how important are lines those? Uh, I feel like they're pretty important. I like to make sure that they're all even and nice and pretty. Because if they're pretty, they come out smooth. So what are the the two parts that you say people have the hardest time with is number one, finding and understand line groups. Mm-hmm. And number two, putting in the back. Mm-hmm. Those are two hardest things people have. What do you think the two most important things about a pack job are? Um, the nose and the slider. Okay. So I usually would say the slider and the stows. Yeah. But here's the thing. Don't forget to cock that pilot shoot. Come on. That's I, that's, yeah, cock yeah, the pilot shoot. For sure. But <laughs> back to it. None of it is finding necessarily line groups. Yeah. None of it is necessarily um, uh, putting in the bag. Putting in the bag, it's, it's, a, it's a smart deal. Mm. But those aren't the most important parts? No. no. Oh, man. <laughs> it, it's so funny the things that people stress out over. But having a properly quartered slider, mm-hmm. having a properly seated slider, mm-hmm. and a properly controlled mm-hmm. slider. So what you said one of the tips that you found that helps everybody is is for you flaking backwards to what well, I call it backwards to you. It's called forward, right? <laughs> yeah. But backwards in the alphabet, D to, D to A. Mm-hmm. What's the next biggest tip and hint that would help people packing in your mind? Um, I guess just like understanding that all of the lines are connected by seams. And so if you can identify that. So like. I always teach, like in my packing classes, the wide seams are what connect your groups together. So your D lines are all going to have little wide seams connecting each other. Okay. And it's got the little, s- the thin seams between like your D's and C's and C's and B's. There's a little, the smaller seams are there. So it, uh, you might not be able to picture this in these words, but just to help reinforce what she's saying is some seams have reinforcement tape in it. Yeah. So look at the binding tape on your rig. That's the tape on the outside of your harness. Look at any like just reinforcing tape. That's what makes a seam wider typically. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the less wide seams are just, they just have no reinforcement in it. I've never, that's a super smart thing. Have you ever packed on a hook? Um, yeah, I didn't really care for it. Yeah. I'm not a huge fan of packing on a hook. I've never cared for it, but I've actually learned showing a pack job on a hook is so helpful because being able to hang it on a hook, flake it, and then let the student walk around and look at it. Mm -hmm. I actually got to a point in packing classes. I didn't use it often. They had to be somebody, somebody on the super struggle bus, somebody who's just like not getting it right. I would actually get, put a hook on their lines, make them stand under the hook. So they actually are bearing all the weight. They're doing the whole job. The hook is there so they could step away and see what they've done. Mm -hmm. And every now and then I wish you guys had a hook available just because if people could see, like, have you ever 
flaked a campy on the hook and laid underneath it and looked up at it. Mm-mm, no. I do uh, jumping. I jumped in Indiana in the Midwest for years, and on a Midwest summer day when it's really slow, you got plenty of time to kill. <laughs> plenty of time to kill. And we used to do like pack my uh, Velocity ninety six on a hook mm-hmm. and then lay underneath it and look at the flakes. It's, it's amazing. So I really I like the idea. Have you done like many line sets or anything like that? Uh, yeah, I've done probably like three or four student line sets. Because this, what you're talking about with the seams, I've only had this thought doing a line set. Mm-hmm. When I do a mm-hmm. line set, I, I start by pushing the uh, slider all the way down, getting the lines as close as I can to my hand, and I cut everything off up there first. Mm-hmm. And then I stack it sideways, kind of like how you would you would pro pack it, and then you line up the line groups as you stack it on top of itself and that's the only time i've ever really noticed the seams in the, in the way that you're talking about I've, I've never really uh i think my understanding of the pack job would kind of progressed around that point to where i just didn't need to know that yeah. doing doing the pack job mm-hmm. but i can see how knowing that might help me find my way around in, inside the fabric yeah um do you uh what do you think about people doing that sort of maintenance on their gear about doing doing line sets and stuff like that i think that I feel like it would, like you said, give you a better sort of understanding as to how everything's connected and like how it works. Because a lot of people don't know. Like they're just like, oh, it's just my canopy that opens above my head. I have no idea what it is. It's just my magic pack pack. Don't ask questions. (laughs) It's my magic carpet ride. So I feel like doing that maintenance on canopies and stuff help you sort of see it in a different light, I guess, for lack of a better word. That's great words. <laughs> so I, I've never worked on the on the packing floor, but to me, like when I walk around on, on the drop zone, even on a pretty busy day, it's like there's going to be a time where I'm going to see a tandem instructor not doing anything, mm-hmm. or I'm going to see a videographer, a manifester, even that they're they're going to have those those few minutes where they're just hanging out, waiting for the next wave of work to come in, and that's something that's a little less common to see on the on the packing floor. Yeah, what's uh what's the pace like? Um, it gets kind of hectic. Uh, there's some days where we don't get lunch breaks or really any time to eat until we're done packing at like 10 o'clock at night. Um, so it gets a little, I mean, frustrating and stressful, but, uh, I mean, it comes, comes, there's good with the bad, I guess, (laughs) always. So like when, during the winter time, there's a lot of sitting around and not doing anything and so it kind of gets old sitting around and then summertime you don't have a lot of time to sit and so i can i think it balances out pretty well on your 99 pack job day how how long was that day how many hours did you spend packing uh it was night jumps and so we were there from like seven thirty to two o'clock in the morning shut a fuck yeah <laughs> i fuck a duck it's wrong word <laughs> Damn, man. But still 99 pack jobs. That, yeah. that is. I was a little disappointed. I would have had 100 if there was another parachute for me to pack. But it, mm. I ran out of parachutes. I've done 36 <laughs> to 50 <laughs> pack jobs in a day, and if, that's a lot. If I knew that you had 99, I would go unpack my pack rig and pay <laughs> you to pack it. That's, that's, that's what I would have done. So uh, what's it like being around skydiving and not actually jumping out of airplanes? Fun, I guess. Um, it's, I don't know. I've always hung around Skyrim, so it's not really much of a, a difference. Okay, let me put <laughs> my question in better context. 
when I'm having a hard day and I want to like murder everybody, <laughs> I have a fun skydive and it's like an instant reset of like, oh man, this is the coolest thing in the world. Yeah. Now I remember why I'm here. Is there anything in your job that gives you that? Um, yeah, just like the environment, just the people being around like you guys. Oh, come on. Aww, she pointed at <laughs> us. She pointed at you. That's oh, I was going to say us. <laughs> But I'm not taking that credit. <laughs> I, I make you cry, and you still pointed at me. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we were going to talk about ice cream sandwiches. Yeah. Tell tell me why ice okay. cream sandwiches. So, I don't I don't really drink, and so when everybody's like, "Oh, beer, beer," it's like, well, like half of the Packers don't drink. So what are like what are we supposed to do? And so I just started. It started with ice cream sandwiches just because it was the middle of summer and it was hot. And I was just like, oh, you guys should bring us ice cream sandwiches because that would be great. And so I just started, anytime someone would yell beer, I was like, no, ice cream sandwiches. Let's do that instead. And so I tried to start yeah. this campaign for... Has it been working at all? No. Because <laughs> I, anytime I make an announcement now for you owe people, like people got something, I always now announce, buy the Packers ice cream sandwiches. Yeah. Man, there are two anything, anything sweet, you know. Yeah. Have you Any- have you been to Smush, the yes. ice cream sandwich place? Yeah. What? Oh my god! What they make cookies and they have ice cream uh. and they put the ice cream on the freshly made cookies and make a sandwich. Justin, will you look up Smush on the internet? Where Where is All this right. place? Oh, by the way, I got to be going to Cineholic sometime soon. Since the oh my god, god. crap is really over. I, if too. I could get any of these companies to sponsor me. Like Cineholic or Smush or One Bar or you'd be fat. <laughs> God, I would be uh, morbidly obese. I think is what. Oh I would my be. God! Hold on, Smush. Hold on, stop. Yeah, let's talk about Smush. Yeah, S M O O S H. Okay. There's a. They, they like have, that Smush. They have a f- Smush. Yeah. There's two O's. <laughs> yeah, I guess. It's, I guess I don't think is yeah. that is that not the proper smelling of Smush? It might be. Maybe. Maybe a there's U? a U in there. But the the, uh, the maybe ice it's an umlau. <laughs> <laughs> They have a food truck, and they also have in the Heights an actual store. Mm-hmm. Holy shit, this Ooh. is ridiculous! Yeah, dude, put it up oh on screen. My. I want you to see this. Yeah. Shit. Oh yeah. So we're, oh, I'm out. Yeah. I'll see you guys later. <laughs> but yeah, they'll they do. Um, oh, when I went there for the first time, I, you is can that do fruity it, pebbles. Yes, fruity pebbles, dude. But find I got, the nearest one to my house. <laughs> it's the food truck. They for me they'll they'll cut a donut in half and put your ice cream sandwich in the middle of the donut and they will also cover that with with caramel sauce and oh, sprinkles man. and cereal. Holy shit! <laughs> oh look, there's a dog eating one. Oh, does someone get extra an extra pack job if they bring you smush? I mean, a I thousand would, percent so. <laughs> I would definitely <laughs> give someone. An I extra guess it, pack might, job. it might meld all the way down to Rocheron. Yeah. Real quick before I get too far, man, I got to throw this out there. Craig Floyd is a buddy of ours. I don't know if you knew Craig. Craig regularly listens to the show. He's made a lot of good comments tonight. And I just, before I forget, Craig, please come to town sometime and be on the show. <laughs> Craig, if you're ever around, you have such a great history in skydiving. I would love to have you as one of our guests. Sorry, just just had to throw it out to Craig. I think you know him. And, you knew him in Scooter at some point. Yeah. I think. So. Well, I feel like I might have crossed paths with him. Yeah. And Heath Richardson will be on the show one day. I don't care what you say, Heath. He just tuned in. <laughs> So smush, let's get some ice cream sandwiches was where we were at. Mm. And Cineholic. There's Cineholic one in the Heights. It says. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, there's, the, there's oh, one smush. in Cinco Ranch and the Heights. Yeah. Dude, Cineholic is healthy because it's vegan, right? That's exactly how <laughs> I mean, it's good for you. Yeah. Right, bro? Come yeah. on, man. Packing lines, those are such a huge, huge, important thing, right? 
it, it doesn't matter what you do. And Craig actually said it. If, if it doesn't come, it, no matter what you do, once it gets to the lines, you still get tension knots. The bags won't come open. There's so many problems that happen. Um, uneven line payout mm-hmm. is, is a huge issue. So making sure you keep your risers and lines and your pressure and your tension even, it, it really it makes a huge difference. Yeah. So line stow sliders, those super help. We were talking about ice cream sandwiches. You you changed the subject to Cineholic, which is a problem for me. Oh, my God. (laughs) Are you a Cineholic? Uh, there's something wrong with me that makes me want to go to that place. <laughs> Do you know what we're talking about? Yeah. Have you been have, there? Yeah. I've not been there yet. It's y- good. Your other half and I started, I think we discovered this place at the same time. I think so. And I couldn't get anyone to go with me. <laughs> so my first Cineholic experience, I was on the way to go to like a dinner party with my girlfriend and some of her coworkers. And it was like, fuck that. I'm going to have a cinnamon roll on my drive. So I stuffed my face by myself in my sad little car driving to, to <laughs> see a bunch of strangers. And it was the most delicious thing that ever happened to my mouth. And then I went there like four more times that week. I can't wait to go. Since I have discovered Cineholic, I've been on a big health trip. Wait, you haven't eaten there? No. Oh, my God. No. <laughs> see, this is my favorite thing about when, when people come to visit. Is I can justify, oh, well, you guys haven't been to Cineholic, so <laughs> let me take you and also eat several of them. All individually. So <laughs> <laughs> There's so, five of you, five so, trips. <laughs> me and you, when are we going? Um, after I have achieved my target goal, my target weight. I, until I get my target weight, I'm staying super dedicated. Well, that's going to put you right back above it, so let's just fuck And that's okay, because <laughs> when I get back up above it, it's very easy to get back. So I go on vacation, as you know, shortly. I, at the end of the month, will come back from vacation and I will bet money I'm a couple pounds heavier than I am now. I won't be tons because I am actually super dedicated to vacation. Uh, Amazon. Wait, dedicated to vacation? To, to, be, to eating well. Oh, to okay. As I thought like, you were like, <laughs> yeah. vacation or death. <laughs> so, so really, no, dedicated vacation would mean I would eat like super crappy. But no, so I'm you're, you're dedicated on vacation. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm pretty good. So on vacation, I'll probably eat mainly healthy. I probably won't eat outside what my... What I'm going to consider the rest of my normal diet is because what I, how and what I what eat. What about ice cream? Um, oh, dude, that is the that is the exception. What Fuck about, yes. What about tacos? Mm. Probably. Well, not. you're on a cruise. Mm. Yeah, they have everything you could want to eat. Right? Yeah, sure. Pizza. No, no, probably not. What? But so, like vacation calories don't count, right? Yeah, Isn't that's that how it works. Yeah, so <laughs> I know. As long as it's vegan. So one <laughs> yeah. of the things that people do is when you travel, it's hard to eat healthy, people say. When you travel, it's an easy excuse to eat less healthy. When I've traveled for work, I typically eat extremely healthy because I know how easy it is to be unhealthy. Um, on this vacation, I'm dedicated to... So simple sugars and simple carbs are something we've been told our whole life we shouldn't eat. Mm. Um, I'm at the point in my life where I really need to be focused on that. Um, I, I've been sick. Uh, I went to the doctors recently. As some of y'all know, I've had some bad lab results. My blood pressure came back killer <laughs> the, while I was sick. Like, mm. I was so happy, and all it did was inspire me to be better. Like, you know, a lot of people go, oh, look, my numbers are good. I can rest on that. Like, no. Like, man, Nick, I'm, I'm going to I throw myself on a bus now. This whole idea of getting healthier, you've, you've encouraged me with other things uh, just through things you've said. And well, I, I do appreciate you giving me that credit, but you got to realize you're, you're the only one who's oh, 100%. done anything any different. No, right? 100%. It's, I, I, it's, it's hard. It, absolutely, I've done the work. Absolutely. But we all need inspiration. 
And you are the wind, but never mind. <laughs> <laughs> you are the wind oh, I know their next my wind. I know what I'm going to sing to you I next like time. I like how the, uh, the entire time you're talking about this, I'm just reading the uh, menus yeah. items on Smoosh. <laughs> you're still on Smoosh, dude. It's yeah. so goddamn There's so good. many different. Oh, my God. It's you can do churro Smoosh. So the mm. only thing on vacation I'll it's make exceptions brownies. for are probably going to be desserts more than anything else. Like, we've already ordered food for our vacation to have. Like, I got a bunch of dang bars going to where we're going to be. They're all keto bars. Epic bars, Dang. jerky, Dang. like good trail mix. <laughs> Sounds like you've got the keto success. Dude. <laughs> hey God, just took a second. <laughs> Thank you for laughing, Ivy. Um, <laughs> I, I have workout plans, not every day. Um, the first day I'm there, I'll have been awake for like 19, uh, 20 hours because of how early we have to wake up on the first day. So after that, I'll be plan- I plan on working out every morning um, just because I don't want to lose the goals I've had. It, it, for those who do know the goals I'm going for, my goal is to weigh in at my heaviest at 160. 157 to 160. I never want to break 160 again, ever. Um, I am now weighing in 159 to 160 on my light. My heavy is 161 to 162. That's one poop, man. Dude, <laughs> I am. I am. Don't give that one pound credit. Dude, I am. Oh, for sure. Um, I, I am three pounds away from being consistently at my target weight. And then I'm not done because after that, this is where watching you's made me feel better. Watching not just you. Uh, what, what's his name? The freaking Puerto Rican who's super sexy with badass Sis- hair. Cisco. Thank you, Cisco. I love you. Watching what he's done with his body over the years. Once I'm done with that, I'm going to continue with the, with a cardio and everything. But I want to start doing body weight exercises. Dude, let's get you on testosterone. <laughs> Can we please? No. Why? Um, I'm going to wait till I'm probably a little bit older before I will consider tea. Dude, you're old. <laughs> Get on it, dude. <laughs> <laughs> For real. Oh, man. So, yeah, like, you know, squats, push-ups. Uh, I want to start getting to the point where I can do pull-ups. Um, I just, I, I, I am inspired to get healthier. You so know no, what will really I'm help? Like crap. Steroids. Not, steroids. <laughs> <laughs> dude, I've considered the Ivy, tea. do you do steroids? Everyone's been asking. 100%. No, yes. I don't. <laughs> Hold on. I'm not done talking about dessert. What's your favorite dessert other than ice cream sandwiches? Gummy bears. The gummy bears are good. Um, Favorite dessert? Watching Ivy eat desserts, my favorite dessert. (laughs) You did make me eat a couple of things the other day. (laughs) So awkward. (laughs) It was a little weird. (laughs) (laughs) Sacrifice September. I so bad want a candy. And I would make her eat candy. And then after Mm. she bit it, I would take it back and smell it. (laughs) Dude, you gotta sniff that shit. Dude, a Reese's cup? Straight up, it was the Reese's cup that I yeah. took forever. I'm like, just no. Oh my god! Thank you, Ivy. <laughs> so if I was, we're gonna have a contest. I'm gonna say, I'm gonna take you to the most delicious dessert place. I take you to Cineholic. I take you to Smush. Where are you gonna take me? What's your, what's your place? What's your spot? Stone Cold. I do like ice cream. Um, I don't know. I've been really enjoying cheesecake from the cheesecake. Fuck factory. yeah! <laughs> what kind do you get? The last few times I got the uh, the tuxedo one. Is that Oreos? No, it's. Like what, what, what? chocolate with mascarpone cheese oh, cream. Shit, son. It's really good. Do you actually eat at the Cheesecake Factory or you just go there for dessert? Uh, I've, we, I mean, a couple of times eaten at the Cheesecake Factory. I've never eaten there. Really? Nope, it's I have had expensive. their fucking cheesecake. <laughs> it's, I mean, the food's all right, but the cheesecake's fantastic. That's what's up. <laughs> I can read the, read the description from the website. Layers of our fudge cake, <laughs> chocolate cheesecake, vanilla mascarpone oh God, mousse, and chocolate. Mm, yep, that's it. Dang. That's good. Straight up dang. Dang. I want to, um, man, I want dessert now, dude. I, I know, right? So here's what we're missing. Number one, we got, when I come back from vacation, this, so this is November, 
we've got a date at the speakeasy. You that, haven't drank yet. I have not drank yet. It's, but you you are going to drink on the cruise, right? Yeah. I'll be fu- yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. So um, when you get drunk, I want you to make a video when you when you've had as much alcohol as you're going to have for the evening and you're feeling real good. I want you to pull out your phone and make a video and just tell me whatever <laughs> it is comes to your mind to say. Hundred percent, you can get that. But the most drunk you've probably ever seen me, and the most drunk you'll probably ever see me is karaoke night. Okay. I don't even remember that. Yeah. I feel like I kind of remember I'm drunk too, I'm too busy yeah, watching yeah. the disasters <laughs> it, on stage. And that so. really isn't <laughs> drunk, but that's pushing it. That yeah. that's, that's like, okay, I'm at my limit. Because that's what it takes for me to do karaoke. Like, I, if, it's, it's outside my comfort zone. And, and I'm, I'm learning to get outside my comfort zone more and more. For example, my new black and red rig that's coming soon. It's not going to be either of those colors. Oh, my God. It looks <laughs> Last time you were drunk, when was it? Uh, Paul and Heath's wedding. Oh, that was a good time. That was a really good time. I wonder if Heath's still watching. I don't know, dude, but Heath, your wedding was bought. Oh, yo, check it out. You know, I'm working on the video of their wedding. See Valkyrie? Yeah. See what's on her neck? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's Paul and Heath's uh, little uh, dog tags from the TX wedding. Mm -hmm. So on a scale from one to ten, how drunk were you at this wedding? Oh. Did you dance? I did dance. Okay, good. Just a little bit? Um, One to ten. Probably like a... Five. Okay. How about I don't like to get drunk. Like I really don't. And so I drank way more than I had ever planned to at their wedding. I had a glass of wine and two Coke and whiskeys. Oh, and I was feeling it. No, that would that would that's more than I'll drink. <laughs> yeah. So you sat at the same table as Zach Boyd. Yeah. How drunk was he? You <laughs> 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 mean pickle Zach? <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I rolled up to that table just to hang out because it was a good group of people, and the, I've never seen the look of diabolical on Zach Boy's he, face. He looked like he was feeling pretty good. <laughs> he enjoyed his night. He did, man. I, like I'm not th- doing that to throw Zach under the bus. He had a good time. He'll own it. His goal was to enjoy his night. Unfortunately, he didn't have to drive anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> so, so dad wrote. Dad flew the plane down, and he got a plane ride there which i mean Shit, i ain't gonna make fun of because you and i have both taken that same plane oh ride dude I, I swear i would never drive to dallas ever again after being <laughs> spoiled by that plane ride so many times bother man but. um what i want to do is i want to talk a little bit about packer courtesy in a minute but i want to kind of go off a tangent off the packing thing you've got 65 jumps right yeah when's the last time you jumped again uh july 11th this past year and why don't you jump that often I feel like there's a few reasons. I get I'm just not confident in my canopy skills to jump. I'll tell you right now. Anytime you want to do a day of one-on-one canopy coaching, you know I ain't going to charge you a damn dime. I, I got you. Let's work together. You've heard me coach with people. Mm-hmm. I think my coaching style would be good with you. Yeah. I know DQ would coach you as well, but I th- I'm a huge advocate of yeah. let's separate love and business, right? And I'm pretty sure DQ wouldn't mind if I coached you. Yeah. Any, if it helps you get back in the sky, if it helps you with anything, if you need any help at all, your brother can help you. Uh, DQ can help you. Any, and, and I won't be offended if you don't take my help. I won't. I'll do your recurrency jump. I will do your canopy. Whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Whatever you want. You've got my help. I did promise Fudala that he could be on my jumps. Boom. Me, so. That's uh, <laughs> respect. You've got a lot of family. Yeah, I do. So. Whatever, but whatever you need from me, and again, if if it's nothing for me, if I don't do any of it, you've got my support. I, I'm not going to be offended one bit that you don't use my help, but I would love to help give you the confidence you deserve. I Yeah, and I've been like trying to work myself sort of closer to it, even just like this last month. Yeah, like. yeah Chris was, uh, 
a little bit of disclosure when we t- we'll talk about Chris a little bit more and more. Chris is actually her brother, but Chris has been visiting uh, here in Houston. We'll be visiting a lot more, and he stays with me when he's in town because mm-hmm. he likes me better than he likes. Or I have a guest room and you don't. <laughs> yeah, a, it, it's he actually comes stays in my guest room, hangs out with you the entire time, and then he comes <laughs> sleeps at my house. So uh, yeah, he likes you better. Um, so we talk about Chris a lot, but that's that's he's staying with us a lot lately. Um, he said you guys are going to try to get current sometime soon. Mm-hmm. What else is slowing you down? What else is stopping you? I don't know. You don't know? <laughs> desire? Um, no, I do have, I've got a ton of desire to jump in. Like, just recently, we've been going to the tunnel a little bit more, and so I'm more confident in my, like, flying skills, but it's just like, uh, I'm afraid of the canopy. <laughs> Let's work on that together. Yeah. I have... A, for sure, canopy landing skill sets will help you, but I also have drills up high. Mm-hmm. I, the, the most common problem I hear, so you know, I, I hear a lot of things in canopy coaching. DQ, who I've worked with as a canopy coach, I tell him we are one of three things as a canopy uh, coach. Number one, we're a counselor. Mm-hmm. Number two, we're a coach. Number three, we're a trainer. Mm-hmm. For you, it's going to be early on counseling, helping people get over their fears, their uncertainties. And I don't think yours is fear as much as it is uncertainty. Mm-hmm. So I think you've been around it enough that you understand the truth. Yeah. But how can we get you past that uncertainty? So there's some counseling. Coaching, that comes after getting somebody past that. A, tr- a trainer a is working with somebody like Nick knows what he should be doing. I'm videoing him and reminding him, like, hey, what should you be doing here? What should you be doing here? Cool. And so those are the phases. And mm-hmm. I've got some really good ideas I think that could help you. So if it's just Canopy, you've got your brother, <laughs> DQ, and myself as all, I think, very excellent resources amongst a thousand other people. Yeah. So please let me know when and where. And uh, I, it's you know how full my schedule gets? Mm. I will carve out time for you. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, you're, you're very <laughs> welcome. I, I, Ivy, it's... Yeah, I think you know how I feel about you as a human being. You're a pretty nice person. Thanks. You're welcome. So I, I would love to actually help you get there. Yeah. Um, what do you, what is, so first of all, Nicole Black was at the tunnel while you guys were there? Uh, not this last time, no. She said you were killing it in the tunnel last time she saw you. <laughs> yeah, that was, we had a lot of fun when we went the last time. Yeah. So it sounds like you're doing good. It sounds like the flying skills are there. What are you working on when you're in the tunnel? Um, I'm working on sit flying right now. Yeah? Yeah. Like how's your sit in the tunnel? I'm getting there. I'm yeah. sort of trying to get off the net. I think your back is solid, right? Yeah. And you can sit fly on the net. Mm-hmm. And so the, for those of you who are learning to fly in the tunnel, please understand just because you're on the net doesn't mean you're not flying. Um, Nick would probably explain this better than I would. He has a lot more tunnel time. But you're for sure, you, the, the, the net's for sure a training aid. It's definitely there for help, uh, will help give you a little bit more stability. Mm-hmm. But you're still manipulating and flying that air. It's a very good training aid. And I think you're off the net, and Chris has both your feet. He's mm-hmm. got docks to help to help just... In my mind, usually when a flyer is still got docks like that, it's more about confidence than it is about necessity, although the need is still there some. Mm-hmm. But it's more about the psychological than it is the physical. So it sounds like you're doing decent. Yeah. Yeah. How's your sit in the sky? I don't... I've never tried to sit in the sky. Oh, so you mean you focused on your belly skills first? Yeah. My dad drilled it into my brain. You have to be really proficient on your belly before you want to do anything else. Why do you think that's important? Um, I feel like it's important just because there's... I feel like people don't give belly flying the credit that it deserves. <laughs> like, everybody's like, oh, belly flying, it's dumb and stuff. And it's just like... But you can do a lot on your belly, like, with even just, like, 
when you watch four ways and stuff happen and like all of their maneuvers and whatnot, I feel like it's, I feel like it's a lot. So. Nick, have you ever been on a hybrid jump where the free flyers can't build the formation? <laughs> I thought you were just going to leave that question before mentioning the free flyers and wait for me to fill in the obvious blank of, yeah, the free flyers would never get there. <laughs> not, not never, but it takes them a long time. I've definitely seen free flyers be the, the one to, to ruin a hybrid formation because they just didn't have the belly skills. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's so important and it's fundamental. Um, you you witness so. There's a point where I'm going to say somebody with 65 jumps has a limited knowledge base, but with that limited knowledge base comes a naive approach that is fresh and a good reminder of things that we don't think about. Mm-hmm. But I don't think you have a 65 jump knowledge base. Would you agree to that statement? You know, I watched a lot of porn doesn't mean I'm good at sex, <laughs> but being around skydiving your whole life, mm-hmm. being in the packing room, you actually hear more skydiving debriefs than most people because you're in the room they debrief in nonstop. Mm-hmm. How much do you hear people have to harp on things that could have been fixed through belly skills? A lot. A lot. Yeah. 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 And do you ever hear somebody say belly jumps are boring? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What do you think of that? I feel like every jump is what you make of it. Thank you. <laughs> I, it's such a wise statement, man. It's it's not boring. You're boring. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I felt the same way. I was the same kind of jumper, and it's because I wasn't finding the right challenge for myself. Mm-hmm. There are certain things that I don't like, I do like, whatever, but if I've learned to find a challenge, and all of a sudden, man, if 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 Scott Latness and two other members of his four-way team said, DJ, you're going to be our fourth, let's go do a four-way jump together, I'd be like, I'm going to be the shittiest one on this guy. Let's go. I mean, they would, they, it would be so much fun mm-hmm. to crank points with guys like gals like that. It's guys and gals are, it's a bi, bisex team, but not bisex. What's that called? Bisexual. Yeah, you're right. Bi- bisexual. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm trying to say? Uh, not intergender. Transgender. Uh, transgender. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> I can't think of words. Words are escaping my brain. Uh, belly skills are so important. How many belly jumps would you do before you decided to free fly in the sky? Um, I don't. I don't have an answer for that. I feel like probably a lot. A lot. Yeah. Do you think it's more? Uh, so I, I love the fact that you don't have a number because there's no magic number. Yeah. Um, it's, it is definitely a skill set, but also a mindset. What else do you think belly flying brings to the table? Not just a skill set. Um, I don't know. I feel like for me, like belly flying is sort of a comfort zone, I guess, because I'm so like, <laughs> like I'm so comfortable flying on my belly that like I'm not like afraid i guess of jumping in the sky yeah, yeah, i guess yeah. no, I'm, I'm, I'm. <laughs> um and so uh, i don't know i feel like if i were free flying i would probably i don't know not end up wanting to jump anymore because uh, i'm not comfortable anymore i'm going to argue the point that i think you're trying to make that approach flying in your slot break off and just overall awareness are easier things to develop when you're flying on your belly yeah would you would you say that that's true yeah so i think that uh again that dj said that you know there's there's not a magic number there's not a magic hey it's time to free fly but man i don't know how many friends we have and you know maybe it is some of the more old school people but that have lots and lots of jumps and almost all of them are on their bellies and they still find ways to to make it creative Mm -hmm. Do do you have goals for when you get back into jumping 
I mean, not like, I guess, set goals. I mean, I just want to... When you think about what a badass guy looks like, the stuff you want to do, what does it look like? Um, I don't know. I would like to eventually start free flying so that I can just free fly. Like, all of everyone's free fly videos that I've ever seen are always just really cool, and I want to be a part of it. <laughs> so when when you think about what it means to, like, be that good or be, be on those jumps, like, what do you what do you see? What do you think? You want to be able to take a dock like sit flying or you want to be able to, to carve it on your head like what do you what do you see when you think about those jumps um both of those like yeah i want to be able to take docks i feel like that's there's like i feel like there's a connection that is made like with that person <laughs> a little bit you know what uh-huh. i mean about like you're just like oh man this is so rad We're like touching I, each other. yeah like, oh my god it's super cool <laughs> i think that would be i think that would be really cool to do with people so what uh what canopy were you on on your last solo jump i was on a pulse 170 so what's uh what's the wing loading it was i want to say like when i was jumping it was like 0.84 or something all right so it's 0.9 it should be my guess dj from from your uh canopy coaching perspective and i know you've had a lot to do with the the program that we have at spaceland when uh, when does someone get to a one one wing loading typically? Number one currency is super helpful, right? Yeah. Um, if you're a current skydiver, when I say current, if you're staying uh, at least a couple jumps a month current, and I really would like to see a lot more than that. If you can have five stand up landings within, I got to make this number right, sixty five uh, sixty five feet of your target. You can do five stand-up landings with 65 feet of your target. They're all soft stand-up landings. That's a good sign that you might be ready to downsize. Um, the this is actually the, I have I have a chart of progression of what we use in the space land system, and that is partially referring to part of that chart. And the foundation for this is simple. Number one, accuracy. If you get to a higher wing loading and you're not accurate and you have an accident, it's going to be a problem. You want to be somewhat accurate, and that's going to actually really avoid having any problems. Um, so the accuracy is important. The stand-up landing is important because I've seen people downsize when they're still sliding in landings. When you downsize, you increase speed. Mm-hmm. If you can't stand up your landing now, then then why not? So if you can consistently stand up your landings, then I don't see, and you can consistently land accurately, then I really don't see. And oh, by the way, those five landings are the requirement for your A license. So if you can land within reason, not consistently, if you can land within uh, uh, A license qualifications five times, and you can stand up five times, there's a good chance. Now, if five out of 20 are those landings and the rest are crap, not a good sign. If you're consistently soft stand-up landings, that, that's a then good Then I'm sign. ready to swoop. Hell yeah. Give yeah. me that. <laughs> no. So really that gives – so one of the things <laughs> I see, and I don't know if you're leading to this, is I regularly see people downsize way too fast. That is probably one of the biggest sins we see. But one of the things I see regularly as well is people who don't downsize fast enough. Downsizing is not a need or not a must. It is a desire. It is a want. You don't have to downsize. There's nothing wrong with being a .9 wing loading your entire life. But I regularly see people who are super, super, super light wing loadings, even lighter than that, who would benefit from being on a little bit heavier wing loading. A a .8 wing loading is susceptible to thermal and lift. So is a .9. So your glide path is very inconsistent. At a one-to-one, it's going to be more consistent. Um... It also, with that susceptible to thermals and lift, your canopy oscillates a little bit more, which makes your flare a little bit more dynamic. Very acceptable, very easy. 
But with one-to-one wing loading, you're getting more consistent accuracy, more consistent uh, flare results. And that's where sometimes I see people who are at a really light wing load. I saw somebody recently at a .6-something wing loading who I really earnestly believe should have been at a .8 wing loading. Um, I had no business telling them that because I saw nothing. But by the end of my training with them, I'm like, hey, yo, next time you jump, jump what you've been jumping on the first jump of the day to make sure. As long as you do what you've shown me the entire day, consider downsizing. I think you'd be okay if you want. And that person was like, oh, my God, thank you so much. I, I agree I wasn't ready so many jumps ago, but in their first several jumps, they crashed. Mm-hmm. And everybody held their first several jumps against their last still 20 crash. plus jumps. You crash all the time, bro. How are your landings? Um, Fine. Soft? Uh, yeah. I feel like the last, well, it's been like six years since I've done a solo skydive, but from what I can remember, they were fine. <laughs> well, what's the source of your trepidation, of your worry? Like, what, what do you think about that keeps you from jumping? Uh, hurting myself <laughs> like on landing that's what you think like yeah. falling down yeah let's get back on that radio listen to these guys i know yeah i yeah i feel like there was a few things that sort of happened just sort of back to back that kind of scared me let's of, talk about it out of wanting to jump were they personal experiences or witnessed experiences witness experiences like yeah. like explain the situations we don't need to use names i don't want to incriminate was it bad landings people had? Yeah. Like, were they low turns? Yeah, um, probably. I don't really know enough about swooping, I guess, to know. <laughs> okay. So, they were swooping accidents. Yeah. So, are you going to swoop? No, but I I know. I get this every time. <laughs> no, no. Well, I'm, I'm, so, so, but the, the, the accidents have been, have involved low turns, mm-hmm. right? What's more important, landing into the wind or landing with your wing level? Landing with a level. Right? And I actually just had somebody in a canopy course this weekend who did a braked 180 into the wind and crashed. Mm-hmm. He never completed his turn all the way. The crash was super soft. It was super easy. When was, you watched was he it. swooping the beer line at the time? No. He, oh, was, he oh. was canopy course right out, out in the... Yeah. <laughs> he, like, when you see the landing, it was enough that everybody in the class laughed. Went, Ooh, ha, 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 ha. All in one. Because when all they go is, ooh, it's scary. Mm-hmm. Um, but said and done, he's like, like, first of all, you should have decided to land off. You couldn't squeeze in your pattern. Landing off, man, a long walk is better than a short ambulance ride. Second of all, when you did get to a bad place, why didn't you land downwind? When you were on your base leg, you realize when you did 90 of the 180 that it was too late. Why didn't you stop there and take a crosswind? I don't want you to land crosswind in the landing area. I want you to turn, to turn into the ground even less. Mm-hmm. So... You know, it's just, are you smart enough to recognize those problems and make the right decision? And I don't mean that as a smart ass, but are you? I would hope so. I believe <laughs> it. I absolutely believe you are. I, I've, I've watched you watch enough. I've watched you respond to enough. I've watched you talk to jumpers. We, we've all done it. You're out in the lane, you're like, no, 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 don't do it. No, <laughs> don't do it. I, I've seen you do things like that. I think you are smart enough. So, I mean, it, it's trust yourself. Yeah. I, I really think... To a point, some people don't need to trust themselves as much as they do. Back off your ego. Back off of your arrogance. You're not as good as you think you are. Or you're better than you think you are. And I think you're that case. Mm. You're smarter than you realize. If you don't trust yourself, just trust your rears and it'll be fine. <laughs> Her what ears. Jesus, what take the it? toggles. Yeah. It was like Jesus, take the rears. There was a sticker yeah. on the window. <laughs> That's a good sticker. <laughs> Always, uh, the Marines I, I've worked with, uh, they like to say, Cypress, take the wheel. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I like that one too. <laughs> Cypress, take the wheel. Um, man, it, so it sounds just like 
avoidance from accidents. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now, again, we're not going to say any names, but the people who've had those accidents, how many of those people are people who you think were in true accidents versus how many of those people were people who made stupid mistakes? Um, well, I feel like at least... I feel like it's like about half and half. <laughs> half of them were stupid mistakes. Yeah. Half of them were true accidents. Yeah. Now, so true accidents, can you explain any of the scenarios that you think were true accidents? Um. <laughs> I, if you can't explain it well because uh, you don't want to incriminate anybody, I get yeah. that. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, just like having an injury or something. Having an injury. So, for example, I'll, I'll talk about Nicole Black for one second. I love Nicole. Great girl. Nicole had a normal, completely safe landing. Mm-hmm. And then the way the winds pulled her and the way she reached back to shut down her canopy is what hurt her. Mm-hmm. Are you talking about like an accident like that? Um, no. Uh, okay. I'm just going to I'm just gonna go for it. I'm Make up it. a name. It was DJ. Sure. Okay. <laughs> so DJ dislocated his shoulder before he could land his high-performance canopy. Wrestling the Power Ranger. <laughs> and... He crashed into the ground going 60 miles per hour because he couldn't stop his canopy. Did this person have a history of shoulder dislocations? No. No. So you say it was an accident. I think it was a pilot error because it was a choice to get on the wrong canopy. Okay. Like, why were you on that canopy? What did you choose that for? If you can't shut it down... Here's a great example. I teach people all the time. If you cannot safely land your current canopy in a five-mile-an-hour downwind, you're on the wrong canopy. Mm. I didn't say pretty. You <laughs> might have to slide in a five-mile-an-hour downwinder. You really might. But if you can't safely land in a five-mile-an-hour downwinder, you're not on the right canopy. So back to it, that's not an accident. That's a pilot error. Would you agree with that thought process? Yeah. And that's what I'm trying to fish for is I'm trying to fish for is it accident or pilot choice because I would like to believe almost all of them were pilot mistakes but not true accidents. Hang on, th- this person dislocated their shoulder somewhere in, like in free fall? Mm-hmm. Well, no, it was after after free fall. Okay, so pa- parachutes open, they reach up to grab their toggles and, and lose their shoulder. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. That's a hard situation, I think, for me to imagine what my definite outcome would be. I'm sure that I would try and get both toggles in one hand, do as many one-handed practice flares as I could before I got to the ground. And hope that, that that worked when I got there. Mm-hmm. Oh, wait a minute. So I misunderstood something. Yeah, I'm glad yeah. you got clarity. I thought they dislocated their shoulder on landing. Mm, no. Okay. That that helps me a little bit. So now that doesn't justify my fucking argument. <laughs> God dang it, Nick. <laughs> Making sense over there. Um, Man, yeah. I still would go with the idea of if I can't, I, I, I should be able to land that canopy in an emergency. I, I would be surprised if this person didn't have previous shoulder injuries. So I, I don't know of anyone short. Let me think. I do know two people who have had this same same situation. Um, both both of whom had previous shoulder dislocations. Mm. So I don't know what the solution is that a, a solution to that is other than don't dislocate your shoulders before you get back into <laughs> skydiving. Yeah. But uh, all of those people that I know of have survived the situation. Mm-hmm. You know. With with a few bumps and bruises, I don't I don't know that I'd know anyone who's been seriously hurt from from this. Yeah. So practice that PL PLR. We call them PLRs now. Uh yeah. Is that stuck? Uh, we're trying to get a stick space. All right. Yeah. Practice your PLRs. Practice your landing roll. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, a guy you actually know the guy. Um, 
It starts with an A. Uh, Adam. No, 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 no. Dave no. for a long time. Uh, Australian fella had the blue tone fly helmet that he ended up leaving with Zach. Uh, Angus. Angus, thank you. I was going to say it's August, but it's not. Angus, Angus, when he did his coach course, would actually, he taught the PLF section and he kept calling them PLR. And I said, time out. I'm not mad at what you're calling it. I'm okay with it, but I want to understand why you're calling it. He goes, my drop zone calls them parachute landing rolls, not parachute landing falls. I said, I'm cool with this. I want to understand the logic. He goes, are you falling on the PLF or are you rolling on the PLF? Well, you're rolling. It's a better title. That's just what we believe. I'll call it whatever you tell me, DJ. I'm like, no, you keep teaching it that way. And at some point, a few of us at Spaceland had a conversation. And people poorly PLF all the time. Mm. And the thought process is, is number one, a PLF, a parachute landing fall, sounds scary. A PLR, parachute landing roll, sounds kind of fun, right? Mm-hmm. Number one, number two, one describes it better than the other. And so at Spaceland, we've actually gone to calling them PLRs and teaching our students parachute landing roles. And a lot of the instructors have reported students do a better job with it just by changing the way we describe it. Yeah. So it, it, PLRs is what we've been using lately. Has it stuck completely yet? Do the Spaceland instructors call it PLRs more than I do, which tells me it's sticking pretty good. I remembered. Uh, yeah. Someone's been saying it. Yeah. I, I teach USPA courses where I still have to use the word PLF regularly. And then in the, their courses, I say, hey, we also call them PLRs, and this is why. But because I teach more USPA than I do Spaceland, I commonly get stuck in USPA verbiage. Mm-hmm. So, What do you think is the most common cause of, uh, of injuries with inexperienced jumpers? Ivy. No, Ivy's the cause. I- <laughs> <laughs> why are you trying to fuck everybody's day up? I'm sorry. <laughs> what is the most what, uh, common cause of injury? People not flaring well. I mean, that really, that's the short answer of it all. Um, from there, people flaring unevenly past their shoulders. So how many times have you actually heard somebody say, somebody turns on landing? What happened? Oh, the, the wind. The wind pushed me. Yeah. Who here believes the wind will make your parachute turn? Does anybody here believe that statement? Man, it would have to be a real strong direct crosswind and or dust devil. Or crazy gust or something. Yeah. And I believe more dust devil or gust because have you ever swam across a current like a river? Yeah. yeah. I don't swim. Yeah. That's actually, no, <laughs> he's not joking. Everyone knows this. Yeah. No. Yeah. Did it make you turn or did it make you drift? Drift. It make you drift. We call that crabbing, right? Mm. Wind will make you drift or crab. And I regularly get people tell me the wind made me turn. And in canopy courses, I'm very big at this point that I don't even give anybody an opportunity to give me that excuse. And the reason I do it is I don't want them to look wrong in front of everybody. So, like, you know, Justin, I'm sorry, Just says, yo, DJ, the wind made me turn. It (laughs) It was the mystery. We call it the mystery gust for fun. It was the mystery gust. And then I have to show you in the video where you were wrong. And then it kind of makes you defensive and shuts you down. So whenever I see somebody do it, before you even get a chance to defend it, I show you where the mistake is. And what it almost always is, is number one, what's the most important time you own a parachute, Ivy? When you what? Touch the ground. When you land. Yeah. Absolutely. The most important time to what? I missed that. You own a parachute. When you you own? Yeah. It's when you land. If you leave an airplane and you never use a parachute, it wasn't important you owned it. If you leave an airplane and you open the parachute, but you turn it into the ground, it didn't help you. When you land safely, that is it's the most important time you have a parachute. It's the most important use of the parachute. What flight mode should you be in on landing? Brakes, mm-hmm. particularly deep brakes all the way down to a full flare. How often are your hands below your shoulders under canopy? Never. Not very, yeah. You do a practice flare. Most of your turns, if you're using your toggles, 
Your hands don't come much below your shoulders. You're flare on landing. So most people are below their shoulders less than 20%. More, de- more than 80% of the time, your hands are above your shoulders. Well more than that. Our hands are almost never below our shoulders. And then when we start our flare, people regularly start their flare really well. I, man, I do 20, I used to do 25 canopy courses a year. I love your fiance almost as much as you do um, because DQ has really taken a lot of the workload off of me and now he's doing over half of my, he, he does more canopy courses a year than I do now. So thank you, DQ. <laughs> I love you to death, brother. Um, when we get below our shoulders, we see people in another flare completely fine all the time. And then when they get below their shoulders, suddenly they learn, they don't remember how to fly. They don't fly very well because you never practiced it. Toggle pressure above your shoulders, very little. Toggle pressure below your shoulders gets to over 20 pounds of force, over 20 pounds of weight. So now you have stronger weight that you're not used to flying. And what you'll see is people, when their hands are below their shoulders, they'll look down to the ground to see where they're going to touch down. You can't see this on video, but you guys will be my witness. I am not going to move my hands. I'm going to move my head. What just happened to my hands? They move. Yeah. My head's connected to my neck. My neck's connected to my shoulders. So as soon as I look down to my left, my left hand goes down. I now start drifting to my left. If I start drifting to my left, what's the next thing a student does with his body? I bet they're going to reach. With what? Hmm. Their leg, left leg. leg first. And what happens when you put your left leg down on your harness? It's going to turn, turn more. more. And then when you do that, what do you do? You look down even more, and your left hand goes down even more. I have so many pictures and videos of people look like giant, like, <laughs> like uh, what was that, John Travolta staying alive? Remember <laughs> that, that dance where one hand's up and one hand's down? And even just this week, somebody tried to give me all these excuses, and I, would, I wouldn't even give him the chance. He just kept making it. I'm like, I don't think I see what you're saying. I don't understand what you're saying. And he would argue with me. I'm, try, I'm trying to give him the out. And finally, like, I'm like, well, look, let's watch the video. And you see him do exactly what I just explained. The number one problem I see is people's flares in the bottom half. A young lady, and, and she'll remain nameless because uh, I, I like her, I respect her, and until she says I'm okay telling her story, I won't. Um, she couldn't get her A license because she couldn't land, she couldn't flare, she, could, she wasn't safe. You know exactly what I'm talking about. And she would never flare her lower shoulders. The first time I worked with her, she goes, I flared it here. And I'm like, I just videoed your last two landings when they told me I need to work with you. You didn't flare past your shoulders. Yes, I did. Watch the video. No, I didn't. So what we did is we made this young lady, I'm going to call her Ivy since we used DJ earlier. That's fine. Uh, uh, Ivy, we made her do break landings for a dozen landings. I say we, DQ and I worked with her as a team. And she did, uh, she did break landings for a while just to get used to that bottom half. She's good at the top half. So when you say break landing, she's coming in? Quarter break, quarter shoulder breaks. level. Okay. She's doing shoulder level approaches, and she's flaring from shoulder level. So she could focus on the part that she wasn't good at. And we got her good there. And then we made her go back and reconnect the flare. And I think we took, what, three different day sessions? Do you remember? It was a few, Three yeah. or four. Mm-hmm. Now, much respect to this young lady, nice gal. One of the more challenging people that we've had to teach how to land safely. It really, it really was. Very nice young lady. 30-some-odd jumps before that she couldn't get her license. She passed free fall, but they wouldn't give her her license because she couldn't land a parachute by herself. Which, by the way, if you're an instructor and you are passing their student solely based off their free fall skills, you're doing them a disservice. Nick, how many of your friends have died in free fall? None. How many of your friends have gotten hurt in free fall? Few. How many of your friends have gotten hurt on landing? Uh, most of them who have been hurt. How many of your friends have died on landing? We don't need a number, but... A couple. We, 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 we get that. But yet as instructors, we pass you based off of free fall skills and not canopy skills? You're an asshole. Um... I, I'm sorry, but man, it, I, I hate the word AFF. I start my AFF courses. You, it's an, you're an AFF instructor. I don't like that term. 
you're an AFFI. No, you're an AFF and CI. You're an AFF and canopy instructor. You should be teaching canopy skills. It's half the skydive. It should be at least half the training. Um, it's the bottom half of the flare. Sorry, you get me on a canopy tangent, and you know <laughs> I'm going to go. It's uh, you, you rile me up. Does, does it make you feel more or less safe to hear to hear him ramble about this stuff? More safe, I feel like, because I feel like I'm learning. You know. Thank you. Ivy. <laughs> so, do you feel like it? May, maybe it's a lack of information combined with for sure. Well, you know, people that teach this shit get know. get on it. I I feel like you don't have a good enough excuse. I don't. I don't have a good enough excuse. I. I don't know how I've made it this long without jumping. Honestly. So when are you going to do that next solo? Soon. That's not a day. I know. Here, here's <laughs> what I believe. Here's the reason I don't think you jumped. You're a timid young lady. Mm-hmm. You know you have accessibility to me, but you're too timid to ask me or whoever else it is. And lately, all of your friends who offer what you need have been starting to offer to you. Yeah. And lately, you've also been more uh, enthusiastic about jumping. I don't think it's a coincidence. Mm. I, th- I think your excuse is you're timid, which I'm not faulting you for. I think that's going away because now your friends are saying, I got you. Yeah. Hell, I bet you I even know somebody who could get you and your fiance in free fall with some beautiful pictures. Oh, yeah? Yeah, dude. I heard Chris Fudal is great with a camera. <laughs> 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 oh, and by the way, who, who are you for sure going to jump with as soon as you can? I would like to jump with my brother as soon as I can. Anybody else? DQ. Anybody else? There's two. Um, Would you put her on the spot? I am. Make someone feel (laughs) super left out. (laughs) Oh, yeah, my dad. Your dad. Absolutely. Of course. And I I, I knew that was on your mind, and I wanted to just see, because really, how cool would it be to get a four-way with those three fellas? Have you not jumped with your dad? Yeah, I've got quite a few jumps. Okay. Yeah, actually, a picture from the show was a setup for you and your dad. Mm Mm-hmm. Your dad owned a drop zone when you were younger. Mm-hmm. Where at? Uh, Stanton, Texas. Stanton. Yes. For those of us not from Texas, where the fuck is that? Uh, west. So the panhandle of Texas. Okay. And then like where New Mexico kind of sits. Uh-huh, yep. It's like in that little corner. Okay. So where where were most of the customers coming from? Um, Most of them, I feel like probably Midland, Odessa area. We got a few, I think, from Hobbs. That's New, New Mexico. Mexico. These are all middle of nowhere places. A lot of oil so field trash, it sounds like. Was, yes. was Stanton Skydive West Tex, or was that a different DZ? Skydive West Tex, yeah. Well, it was originally, like in the 80s, it was West Tex Sky Sports. And then um, 2010-ish, maybe a little sooner than that. Mm-hmm. I don't remember when we reopened it, but we changed it to Skydive West Tex. Okay, so no, it's just... it's it's. Uh, Stanton, Midland, Odessa mm. on, on I-10, or 20 rather. Yeah. I just looked at the map. I'm not that smart. So, okay, I, when you picture, when you just explain the corner, that is the corner, but for some odd reason, I, I wasn't seeing it. I, I was seeing it further northwest of, when you said the corner, mm. I thought you really meant the corner. Yeah, it's a little a little off. Yeah, yeah, it, That's just the easiest yeah, generalization. <laughs> so those of you from Texas, Midland, most people would know where, at least have an idea where Midland is. Yeah. Midland is called Midland because it's in the middle of nowhere. It's mid, it's Midland of anything, man. It really is. Um, and uh, if you, uh, Stanton is right there by that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, same DZ. Yeah. So you were talking about she grew up on the DZ in Stanton? Yeah. How would you uh, describe this this drop zone? Um, Quaint. So 182 drop zone, I yeah. would imagine. Mm-hmm. We or had a King Air there for the last couple of years. Um, so it was 
It was a little faster. Was paced. this on like a private airstrip? Was it a? Um, it's the uh, Stanton Municipal Airport. Okay. So uh, other airplanes coming in? Crop dusters. Okay. Occasionally. So not much traffic. No. Okay. Yeah. So we how were. how would you compare the landing area? Um. So our landing area was probably like a twenty fourth of Spaceland's landing area. Very small. <laughs> I love how specific. That's a very specific <laughs> fraction. <laughs> and, and was it pristine grass that was mowed every Tuesday? No. Um, we mowed it, personally. Um, we took care of it all. We It took us a long time to get all of the sticker bushes and stuff to stop growing. Because, I mean, running the lines after people were jumping in oh the stickers God. and stuff, oh, you were geez. constantly getting stickers in your fingers. <laughs> And I then, just imagine this happening to 12-year-old Ivy, <laughs> yeah. and that's a really sad thought. <laughs> and then just when you thought you got the last one out, you'd run the lines, and there would be another one. It's the worst. Sad. <laughs> but um, the last, like, two or three years that we had the drops and open, the grass was, like, really great. There were no stickers. It was awesome. <laughs> do you miss it? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Mm. If you could turn back time. If you could turn <laughs> back. If you could find a way. <laughs> <laughs> would you have that drop zone? Would you be there again? One hundred percent. Yeah. What do you miss most about it? Um, I feel like just the like small drop zone yeah. sort of feel. It's like I don't know. Like Spaceland is a huge family and it's awesome, but like there's just something about like a small drop zone group. Like yeah. I think all Justin being the exception, uh, Nick and I both have worked and jumped at smaller drop zones. And I, I, Spaceland is so unique to have such a family environment for such a large DZ. Mm-hmm. We are very blessed that way. And I think part of it comes from some of the leaders at the DZ because I really do think our leadership blends towards that. Um, but I really would also blame the jumpers because the jumpers are the environment. Skydive yeah. Spaceland is not a building. Skydive Spaceland is not a name brand. Skydive Spaceland is a group of skydivers, right? Mm-hmm. So I, w- I would blame them, but man, um, for you it was Ogden, for me it was Greensburg. How man I, that that atmosphere, the bonfires at night, mm-hmm. the family dinners, yeah. the everybody at the end of the night took out the trash, cleaned the carpet. The next morning on on Sunday morning, we all woke up and picked up and put away beer bottles and cleaned up the messes. And they're usually more laying around because it, they're a little more open hanger policy party environment. Mm-hmm. I definitely miss it. Mm-hmm. I don't. I would like to talk more about that, but we will run out of time quickly here if we're not careful. And I really want to make sure we get to this next topic. And the thing I really want to address tonight is packer packing courtesies. So packing courtesies, how I behave as somebody who packs on the packing floor and how I treat my mess. Packing courtesy, how I bring in my gear to my packers. Packing courtesies, how I behave on the packing floor, um, not my locker room, living room, right? <laughs> So, first of all, I'm a new jumper. What can I do to to help you guys as a new jumper bringing in my gear? Um, just, <laughs> I don't know how to, when you feel like you've messed something up, don't fix it. Let us know that there's something awry. Mm-hmm. Um, you feel like the lines are in places they're not supposed to be. It's really, really easy for us to fix it. And I know that, like, there's this mentality, like, oh, I don't want to leave a mess for them. But nine times out of ten, it's not a mess. It's it's what it's supposed to look like. But because you're a new jumper and you don't really know what you're looking at, you feel like it's not right. And it is. And then you go to try to fix it. And then you put a flip through in it or 
pull lines in places they're not supposed to be. And then there's a problem for us to fix. When people, when the Packers tell you don't worry about it, they absolutely mean it. Yeah. If somebody says, I don't want a glass of water, screw them, give them a glass of water. <laughs> but when you're dropping off, that was between Nick and I joke. I think you, yeah. Um, yeah. If, but if you tell the Packers, hey, what can I do? No, it's fine where it's at. I've seen that happen a lot of times where a Packer, a jumper makes it worse. Mm-hmm. I want to kind of leave the new jumpers alone because there's so much that they're learning. I'm going to talk with you about a mistake you and I talk about together a lot. What's the biggest problem with the way new jumpers bring in their gear? And I'm going to feed it to you. They're instructors. <laughs> Don't teach them how. Exactly. How important is it that I, as an instructor, teach my student to bring in gear and help them for a while? It helps us tremendously because you not teaching your student to pick up their gear properly is us taking the 10 minutes out of our day, which is generally two pack jobs um, to help your student. And then sometimes it's even longer than that. And then we're having to back up the packing floor to help the student that should have already been helped by the instructor. Um, And it's, it's not, it's just, Picking the lines, it's not hard. You just got to teach them to pick the lines up. It really is. And then teach them to just drop them all when they come in. The biggest thing, so I regularly see jumpers come in with a hot mess. Like I'm walking out to video landings for something. Mm -hmm. And I see somebody walking with a hot mess and I'm like, hey, yo, bro, dude, can I show you some tricks to make that easier for you? I really mean that for them. Mm -hmm. I also mean that because you're about to take it to my friends and I want to make it easier for them. And what I tell them is drop everything you have right now. Awesome. Grab all your risers. Grab the line, milk it. As mm-hmm. long as they're all tight, coil it. If they're not tight, milk it till they are. If they're not, if they still don't get tight, shake everything below it and then milk it again. Mm-hmm. And it's just to milk everything out and just get everything the slider. That is all I teach them besides coiling the lines. Yeah. If that's all a new jumper does, if that's all an instructor teaches to get a new jumper to bring in a canopy, how happy are you? Soup like that's all I ever want <laughs> from a student. Really, yeah. it's just nice coiled lines. They just set in a pile for me. <laughs> Ivy, why is my student's rig not ready on this 20-minute call? <laughs> because he didn't bring it in nice because you didn't teach him how? Yeah. How many new jumpers do you see? I say new jumpers. I want to go with students. How many students do you see come in with a hot mess and they're frustrated, A, with picking it up, B, with bringing it in, C, with dropping it off? And then even when you guys and girls are polite, and, and our Packers on the mat right now are a very polite crew, they still get frustrated talking to you guys because they feel like they're wrong if you don't make them feel like that. How mm-hmm. many times have you seen that? All the time. Every day. Now, you see it all the time. How many, or excuse me, not how many, do you think any of those guys and gals have quit skydiving because of that frustration alone? Sure. Sure. My job isn't to teach you how to skydive. That's free fall. My job isn't to teach you how to land a canopy. That we're not doing well enough either. My job is to teach you how to interact in the staff. My job is to teach you how to manifest. My job is to teach you how to drop off your gear to your packers. Mm-hmm. If instructors help their students learn how to drop off their gear better, how much would that change your life? A lot. It would make everything, I feel like, run a lot smooth, more smoothly. Yeah. Do you guys make bets on who the instructor was based on the hot mess that comes <laughs> in? Sometimes. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> Every instructor who hears that should cringe at the thought that that is them. And I can tell you, I know, I, I, I can usually sit there with them and go, Did such and, is such and such his instructor? And they're like, yeah, no, the other one. I've, I've actually heard that, no, the other one. I'm like, oh, it was them. Mm-hmm. And I've also actually asked that question in a good conversation. I've actually asked... 
um, was such and such the instructor because I know this instructor teaches. Leo actually was really good at showing his students how to pick up gear. Mm-hmm. I watched Leo meet his freaking student lanyard. I watched Leo make a student drop off his gear to re-pick it back up. So it is Leo the instructor. I'll also say some highly praised and highly recognized instructors are lazy about this. So just because you're a great instructor doesn't mean you're a thorough instructor, right? Mm-hmm. Now, most of the brand new unlicensed jumpers don't listen to us. Most people who listen to us have licenses. A lot of them are new. Mm-hmm. So I'm a new jumper who does understand gear. What can I do to drop off my gear better? Um, after you drop it off, run the lines. Um, and that's pretty much it. As long as the putting the toggles in the toggle keepers mm-hmm. and then running the lines as long as the toggles are in the toggle keepers i don't mind setting the brakes it's not that hard to do um but if you're wanting to make the canopy look nice as soon as you land putting the toggles in the toggle keepers please because your lines your brake lines will get twisty otherwise and then that's just another thing that we're having to maintain um, it, it's not just about that it's if you put your toggles in the toggle keepers as soon as you land they don't. How often have you untangled toggles from inside lines that were probably neat when they dropped, picked them up, and mm-hmm. they got messy when they're coiled? Yeah. So I love the fact that you said stow those toggles right away. Mm-hmm. What else would they do? Um, ice cream sandwiches. Yeah. <laughs> bring, <laughs> bring us ice cream sandwiches. Um, but yeah, just making it like if you want to make it look neat, just running the lines, and then that's pretty much it. Uh, man, I taught the class yesterday and taught them all this stuff. I'm so proud of myself. Good job, <laughs> man. <laughs> I feel like you're you're showing them, you know, you're demonstrating how the uh, uh, the activation deployment sequence happens with the gear. It's so easy to show them right then and there because you're going to have to pick it up and take it back downstairs anyway. Mm-hmm. Hey, guys, here's how you do it. Like, make sure you stow your toggles and you pick it up like this. It makes it super easy. Like, here's the difference of dragging the tail and if I grab this warning label, look. It's mm-hmm. not even touching the ground anymore. So, And then, like, not only, like, learning to pick it up neat helps you carry it in. It's not this giant mess behind you now. And you're not having to struggle with massive amounts of canopy and lines if it's all nice and coiled in your hand. And you don't look like an asshole to everyone who's yeah. experienced. <laughs> yeah. I think that that's usually yeah. my, my biggest... Big like, inflated canopy. Like, <laughs> I'll, I'll say to someone, hey, you want me to help you carry that like 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 a pro? And, they you know, they'll they'll realize that they look like the new guy coming in like a, like a mess at, at what level of experience do you expect someone to spe- set the brakes um i feel like you should be setting your brakes by the time you have a b license yeah that seems super reasonable yeah because you at least i mean i can see someone with 10 jumps not really understanding what setting the brakes means mm-hmm. right but by the time you've released those brakes 50 times it'll be licensed, <laughs> yeah, you should probably get an idea of what's happening. Yeah. I think that's pretty fair. And, like, for for rental gear, it's kind of hard because there's people that jump the rental gear well into their, like, hundreds of jumps. Um, and it's just, it's easier for us because we're always having to check the brakes in the rental gear anyways. We don't care if the rental gear brakes get set because we're having to do it anyways because... Even if you set it, we have to undo it to make sure that it was done correctly. And uh, so, like, for sure, by the time you have your own gear, you should be at least know how to set your own brakes. Mm -hmm. So if I'm bringing in my rig to get packed, it should have brakes set. Ideally. I'm sorry, I got a little distracted. Um, By the way, you also want to jump with Debbie DQ's mom. Yes. (laughs) Uh, Actually, (laughs) Debbie, I will apologize real quickly. 
I, uh, I, you've posted a lot tonight, and I did not realize you had a incognito Facebook name. I think you've changed Facebook names since we've known each other. And so she's been commenting under her Facebook name, and I've been thinking, like, who's this Indian dude this whole time? <laughs> so you know her name on Facebook, obviously. Yeah. Um, did you guys mention anything about uh, Slider being fixed as well? No, I mean, that's always great, too. It's not, I don't ever feel like it's a huge deal for me just because yeah. that's part of my routine when yeah. I'm packing is to... But once again, we're talking about more experienced jumpers. Yeah, yeah. Super helpful if you guys just can do that. Uncollapsing it, really. Now, dropping off gear, I think those courtesies are, are typically learned quicker than not. I think people are better at that than not. Mm-hmm. But what I do see is courtesies in the packing room of how I pack versus how you pack. In other words, what space am I taking and what space am I using? Yeah. And be how I behave in the packing room. So a good example, what's the first thing you do every Monday morning? Um, or whoever's turn it is. Clean the packing room, vacuum, pick up trash. So before you vacuum... You usually have to pick up a bunch of what? Rubber bands. Because you vacuum that up and it destroys a vacuum cleaner. How long does it take you to pick up all the rubber bands in the morning? Um, On a good weekend? Probably like 15 minutes. 15 minutes? Yeah. Man, now for you, I think it's a little bit different story because you guys are doing 100 pack jobs, excuse me, 99 (laughs) pack jobs in a day. You guys are doing a bunch of pack jobs in a day. Yeah. But when I'm packing, I'm not doing a ton of pack jobs in a day. If I have a super, super, super busy day... I'm a little bit different than Nick because this might be more. It'd be 10 jumps for me. Man, how easy is it for me to take my broken rubber bands when I'm done packing and just throw them in a trash can? Pretty easy. Man, you smile when I say that. Why? I just guess. <laughs> would it help you guys? I mean, would that be a courtesy? Would sure, that be some, yeah. Would that be a favor to you guys? How much does that help? A, a ton. Yeah, it yeah. just time. and. What other things could we do in the packing room as jumpers to help make your lives easier? Um, The main thing is like the garbage <laughs> like i know that that's like so like not with packing but like you mean i shouldn't leave my lunch on the floor half eaten <laughs> we're in charge of of cleaning up the packing room and so we we have to vacuum take out the trashes pick up the garbage around the areas and things like that and so there's a lot a lot a lot of half eaten food around mm-hmm. and we had just last year we had rats and so every two weeks we come into the smell of dead rats and I really <laughs> don't want that to happen again because it was awful. And like other people have the option to not be in that room, but we don't. We have to be in that room. So the dead rat smell was Horrid. nauseating. And so just picking up after yourselves and your food that you decided not to eat anymore goes in the trash can and if the trash can is overflowing with trash maybe don't pile it on top of that trash can well there's only like 15 (laughs) trash cans to the drop zone so i need mine to go in that one (laughs) yeah i don't uh paula richardson tuned in and it's still so weird to see paula richardson i'm like (laughs) yeah like who is that um (laughs) something i started doing recently i say recently and about since the rat issue actually Mm -hmm. is any food trash i have i take to the big outside bins Mm -hmm. because what's the chances those big outside bins will be clean during the day as the day goes along super high right Mm -hmm. um the inside now by the way steven and i were speaking recently about the trash situation in the packing room Mm -hmm. and recognizing together that the packing room has a trash prom on weekends yeah and the trash prom is there's a high flow of traffic so the trash gets full and y'all are too busy as packers to deal with it Mm -hmm. so he is uh, getting the maintenance staff to help start looking at the pat at the trash in the packing room 
So hopefully, yeah, hopefully we'll start seeing that happen a little bit more. And, and of course, it's going to take them a little bit to break that routine. We know how mm-hmm. that gets. So, so that'll help. But man, let's just throw our trash out every, you know, outside where it belongs. Um, what? So really, cleaning up after myself is a big deal, right? Yeah. I and I, I actually I'm going to change where I was going to go with this next. John Paws is got a really good thing that I love. Um, you've seen me actually drop a rig off to Will and say, hey, yo, man, can you roll the left nose about three quarters of the way, the right nose, roll two for us, uh, spin the tail. What am I doing when I do that? You're being funny. Yeah. How often <laughs> does somebody tell you how to pack their canopy? Uh, yeah, it happens often. Yeah, it happens. <laughs> what do you do for a living? I pack parachutes. Why are you packing their parachute? Because they want me to. <laughs> Probably because you're better at it than them, yeah. right? They, they want you to. Now, I have packed enough that when so I don't know if this is the truth of you, and I don't, you don't have to throw yourself under the bus, but you can say if this is true or false for packers. When somebody tells a packer how to change the pack job the way the person wants, I usually say, great, not a problem, and then pack it the way I pack it. Is that true of most packers? Yeah. Yeah. And how many times have you packed, not in a way somebody's prescribed, and they come in and go, that's perfect, that's exactly how I want you to do it? Every time. Yeah. Man. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. And how many times has somebody bitched about an opening? It happens sometimes. And yeah. how often do you think it really was your fault? You used, you used to always think it was you. Yeah. I remember those days. <laughs> Today, how often do you think it was your fault? Not very often, yeah. Most of the time, it's... Shit happens? Them being stressed also. <laughs> You're throwing material and lines out 120 miles an hour. If you have a bad opening, shit happens. Yeah. And a lot of times, it's in your head. It's, 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 it's you, man. Mm-hmm. So, I, complaining, bitching, whatever, man, it, it's... I, I used to, when I was a full-time instructor, I'd walk into the pack room every now and then, and DQ was a packer. I don't think you were packing back then when I did this. Mm-hmm. I would walk in, and you knew I didn't have a bad opening. When I would walk in and go, who the hell packed me the stupid student? <laughs> who the hell packed me the D-Archer? I would always talk about my student. Who packed me a horrible landing? Mm-hmm. So I, I would never complain about a pack job. Um, I, I, very few times, we had a packer in my old drop zone who packed several lineovers oh in gosh. like a month. Yeah. Several lineovers. He was using a pack job that wasn't prescribed. And finally, after that, we were uh, able to say, yeah, no. I, I had a over, and I went to the DZO and, and the lead instructor, Mike, look, here's the history. He can do that pack job on anything he wants for fun jumpers. He can't do it for the school anymore. Here's the history of lineovers we've gotten. And like, yeah, no, he's banned. Yeah. Not but when you stop packing that way, we stop having lineovers. So stop complaining about bad pack jobs. Absolutely, I agree with it. As packers or as jumpers in the packing room, normal be uh, 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 normal behavior. Walking over lines, walking around. Talk about that for me. Um, <laughs> there's a joke that sort of I I adopted. It was something that like Will used to say and Brad used to say. It was just like oh. We're just a part of the carpet. We're just pack like floor monkeys. We're just part of the carpet. And it's, I used to kind of laugh and be like, "Oh, you're just being dramatic." But like the more that I've worked on the packing floor, the more that I see it is just people will just walk over you like you don't exist, and they don't. Sometimes you don't even get a sorry if they kick your lines and stuff like that. And it's just like, "Hey, man, like this is going to save someone's life, and you just kicked it like you didn't care." Let me see at you at your work, at your desk at work. And while you're working on a pile of paperwork, let me just come and slide the papers around for you. <laughs> for real. Le- and let me see how you feel about that. The thing is, is me sliding the papers on your desk is less critical than you kicking the lines on her pack job. Let me find you digging a ditch at work if you dig a ditch at work. And let me take your tools and just kind of toss them to the side. A couple feet. That's less detrimental 
than what you're doing by kicking her pack job. Mm-hmm. But yet you'd make a big deal about that. Yeah. I think jumpers forget you're at work. You're doing a job. You're doing a service. And you oddly enough do it with a smile. <laughs> and yet people walk all over you guys. Man, we're blessed in Houston with a AC packing room. Mm-hmm. Isn't it wonderful? And our jumpers take advantage of it, and I don't blame them. I'm not saying this is wrong. By dirt diving in the packing room sometimes. Would it be helpful if jumpers saw when the packing room was too busy and would dirt dive outside? 100%. And how many times have jumpers dirt dived and walked right into you and your pack job while dirt diving? It happens often. <laughs> hey, belly flyers do a lot of dumb things. <laughs> it's also been free flyers, hasn't it? <laughs> it has. It yeah. has. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I mean, to be fair... Um, I, I, it's, I do see more of the free flyers take their mock-ups outside than the belly flyers. I just, yeah. it, to be fair, it is true. So I'm, I actually do agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but man, guys, be spatially aware of who's around you. Nick, who is the hardest physical working person on the DZ Packers, on a Saturday? Man, always. Man, and by far, it, it, there's no fair comparison. Who I mean, is the, the, there? Can be you know there can be hard work when you're doing you know doing tandems, doing video, mm-hmm. and but for me, like when I do a you know a twelve or fourteen jump day, the hardest part of that day are those twelve or fourteen pack jobs for sure. And that you guys are doing that all day mm-hmm. is, man, I don't know how your guys' hands make it through it. Who Ivy is the emotionally hardest working person on drops on on a Saturday? Manifest. She, I, I, I cued her up because she's heard me have this conversation before. <laughs> the hardest working physical person on the drop zone is a packer. You do 10 to 12, 10 to 15 pack jobs. She does 45 to 60 or 99, right? You deal with 10 to 12 bad customers. Manifest deals with 100 bad customers. They deal with so much in so many cases. But who is the most high maintenance person on the drop zone commonly, Ivy? I'll say it for you. The instructors. And, and, and I firmly believe it and I watch it all the time. Now, that being said, Y'all have the most adrenaline-paced job as everybody goes. And everybody has their own heavy burden. But here's the thing that I see every day. Jumpers praise instructors. Jumpers praise video guys. Jumpers praise the jumpers. The two people whose asses I want to kiss are the people who get me on the plane and the people who land me safely. That's Manifest, and that's the Packers. I think you are the two most underappreciated groups on the drop zone. You've heard me say it all the time, and you know I preach it. Guys and gals, if you are not watching out for these people, know they're watching out for you. They're watching out for you by taking care of your gear, by giving you good pack jobs, or by watching out for you because you're just being an asshole walking all over them. (laughs) Please watch out for them. Ivy, believe it or not, we're pushing two hours already. Anything you want to share besides you want people to know about Ivy and or the packing floor? No. No. We say this all the time. (laughs) This always goes way too fast. So next time we do this show, we're going to have you back on. But next time, we're going to have you and DQ on together. (laughs) Okay. I think that would be a lot of fun. That would be fun. Mr. P, what you got, my friend? The film festival is coming up in about two weeks, 12 Mm days. The next time you will see Gravity Lab Radio, boys and girls, this is the last show we have until the film festival. You know what I finished today? Your video? Video for Looking to Build 3. Oh, nice. I'm debating whether or not I'm going to sit on it and like have it have it premiere at the film festival, or if I'm, I'll probably be like a little kid. I'll get too excited and post it before then. <laughs> I propose we do the film festival intro like we normally do with your mm-hmm. intro. We do. You can play while people vote. We do the intermission, and we bring the intermission back with your video. Yeah, maybe, maybe. <laughs> well, yeah. That's too, that's two fuck. That's two weeks. 
I want everyone to watch it now. now. <laughs> Dude, how close is Heath and Paul's wedding to being done? Uh, I'd like to have it finished this week. I can't wait to see it, man. That was such a... Uh, just such a wonderful group of love, man. Mm-hmm. It, w- all three of us were there. Justin couldn't necessarily be there. He couldn't make it. Um, you have a job and full-time skydivers can go do whatever we want, right? <laughs> um, man, that was... Uh, I, my top three weddings are mine because I... And it wasn't because I was there. It was a private stretch of beach in the Keys with 13 people on a private stretch of beach and a sunset that you couldn't kill, mm-hmm. that you could kill. From there, my favorite wedding is a tie for Critter and Lisa's. And were you at that one? Nope. And, um, and and Heath and Paul's, man. What what a beautiful time. Guys and gals, the next time you'll see us, it will be the film festival. Mr. Grubbs will be there in person. His mind might be slightly distracted unless the Astros win the World Series before then. <laughs> no, 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 no. They can't win before then. Can't win before then. So as long as they make it to the World Series, they'll be distracted that night. ALCS before then. That's right. Okay. It's another <laughs> thing that we have that's And I have to be at a total plant outage that morning, too, for Gravity Alert Radio uh, Film Festival. Say what? That's going to be fun. Oh, uh, they're they're doing a lot of electrical upgrades for a, uh, a terminal oh. I work for. So that entire morning, I'm going to deal with uh, a company that is not making millions of dollars a minute because their power is out. That's going to be fun. <laughs> I am going on vacation. If you're a thief, if you're going to break into my house while I'm on vacation, I have dogs and a dog sitter. I have people in my house. Just because I'm gone doesn't mean my house is empty. Uh, I like my house to be kept all the time. DJ's but address is? It is <laughs> Carlos's phone number. <laughs> DJ's address is um, the film festival. We are going to have a keg of beer there. Uh, I will thank right now Mr. G and Mr. P for donating this keg of beer. Mr. G and Mr. P both helped me with LB Live. It's another project we do. It's a kind of Gravity Lab spinoff. We do interviews with LB athletes. We do get a nice little uh, stipend. We we are uh, we do we do a contract for LB to do this. And as the producers of those shows, they've do- donated their proceeds of those do- uh, of those to help support some of our events. So, and I really appreciate that, Have guys. You told LB this. Um, oh no. yeah, those guys—they don't take that money. I buy—I buy beer with that money. <laughs> yeah, I, I, so they actually have all I do is I charge them, and I don't tell them who gets what. I just charge them a fee. Here's my contract fee, and they have no idea how it's broken up. They don't know what's broken up for graphic design, for me, for production, for you guys. I have a—I have a list of what it's broken down to. So no, they have no clue, man. man <laughs> what a great company, man. Those guys are so great. I love LB Altimeters. They've been so wonderful for me to work with. Uh, I will also get a bunch of popcorn there. Guys and gals, if you're at the film festival, we've had popcorn the last couple of years. And you guys have been so awesome because popcorn at an event is a freaking hot mess. And it never has been. It's actually been very easy for us to clean up. I will be just back from my vacation. So when I get back that next morning, we're picking up the beer. We're picking up the popcorn. We're going to... Uh, from there, we're probably not going to do a lot of snacks or food. In the past, in the years, we actually have had some things go down. Um, actually, I'll talk to Jay Daniel and see if we keep the cafe open an extra hour or two. Uh, but no special menu. Just get whatever you can from uh, 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 what's Landing, Landing Point, Point Cafe. Landing Point. Have you eaten there? Mm-hmm. I hate that guy. <laughs> He's the reason I got fat, man. Yeah. His burger and fries, they're ridiculous, dude. They're they absolutely the best. So make sure you eat there. Make sure you enjoy it. Mr. P, anything besides the film festival? Um, no. Ivy, thanks for being here. Oh, thanks for having me. Mr. G, 
Go ahead and say it. Go Astros. I knew it was coming, man. <laughs> Till then, white boy, play that funky music. Guys and gals, Greg Lab Radio, we're gone for a little bit. When we come back, the 30th of this month, we're going to have two guys, Zach Bro and uh, God, God, uh, Michael, Michael Erickson. Thank you very much. Part of a team called Get Swifty. Really cool guys. Really a lot of fun. After that, we've got that guy on your shirt, Jackson Brockwell, coming to the show the first week of November and a few other really cool things lined up. How good is that? How good is it, man? Till then. Then get the fuck out of my house, Ivy. Goodbye. Go Yankees. <laughs> Suck it. You just looked that up, didn't you? You had to check to see what's played. No, yeah, no, okay. I do. I just wanted to break Justin's tiny ginger heart.